So Shag, Ryan Daly, and Jeff Lester, these were all people that you chose. Yeah. They're being held captive by Velvet Tiger. So you have to choose. (laughs) (laughs) You have to choose. One person will pay money for his life and lose everything. One will be rescued by Batgirl, and then one will be sent through one of her mysterious time portals, age rapidly, and die. So which one will undergo each of these fates? (laughs) Good Lord. Yep. Well, I think that uh, (laughs) – I forgot what the first one was with Velvet Tiger – but I think the first one will go to Jeff Lester because he's he's bliss. Okay. He's, he ne- he never he never says anything mean about anybody. So he's just going to pay some money yeah. and and that's it. He's going to and have a happy happy life. Okay. And hmm, I think that Shag would get rescued by Batgirl. Wow. But, okay. But he would be too obsessed with thinking how hot she is, get distracted, fall to the ground, go splat, and end up with Velvet Tiger's pelt. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And Ryan, yeah, we'd send him into the past and he can buy all the copies of all the issues of Secret Origins at cost price and save money and become a billionaire. (laughs) Before he ages rapidly and dies? Sadly, but I mean, he wasn't in a Mylar bag. These things happen. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute... Something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. The night is bitter, the stars have lost their glitter, the winds grow colder, suddenly you're older, and all because of the man that got away. So I'm your host, Stella, and this is Backworld Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 125 for October MMXVI. Backworld Oracle is brought to you by the Hammer Podcast. 
Star Trek, comic books, mythology, video games, toys, Star Wars, just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast, presented by Two True Freaks. Come join me, Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with. And be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed and at twotruefreaks.com. Backworld Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Backworld Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Help TBU keep the lights on. Please donate to help Dustin with rising server fees. Your support means your favorite shows will continue airing. We are currently at 70%. Go to thebatmanuniverse.net to learn more and donate today. I donated. Have you? Backroll the Oracle also wants you to review the show on iTunes. Throughout the fall, I'm going to push iTunes reviews, so please give whatever star you feel comfortable and review, and I will read it in its entirety on the show. So my next guest, or my guest this month, I guess I should say, is very special, uh, not only because he was on Minority Report, but also because he was very kind and got me a the Rebirth issue of Birds of Prey, signed by Claire Rowe, and sent it over to me, and I was very appreciative. So please welcome Martin Gray to Backroll the Oracle. Hello again, Stella. Lovely to talk to you. Absolutely. And thanks. I'm glad I can thank you in person for just the, you know, getting it signed and sending it overseas to me. I really am appreciative of it. No problem. So we are in this DC era known as Rebirth. How are you? Are you reading Rebirth? What are you reading? How do you feel overall about Rebirth? I'm loving it. I'm, I'm, I'm reading so much, really. There's very, there's very little that I'm not enjoying that I'm reading. I'm, I mean, the, the, the Batman books, the Batman family is stronger than they've been for years. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Barbara's starring in two books. Detective Comics is just amazing at the moment. Batman, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much enjoying. Not as much as I expected to with Tom King writing, but you know where it goes. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying David Finch art a lot. And the the Superman books, they're just absolutely wonderful. Just, I really enjoy Superman and his son so much. And all, all across the line, I mean, Flash is fantastic. Te- the, the Titans rebirth with the mystery of uh, the mystery of Wally West is just wonderful. There's there's just so much good stuff. I'm just holding out for the Legion of Superheroes. I really miss the Legion. Oh, right. and that's sort of your niche, I would say. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge, great Legion fan, and mm-hmm. just uh, DC seems to be missing something big without a, without a Legion comic. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So how, how are you enjoying Rebirth? I'm also very much enjoying it. I was hesitant about it because I wasn't really sure exactly what it meant or how it fit into continuity. Uh, I wasn't the greatest fan of New 52, but I also didn't want all the time I spent with it to be thrown away. So I was just wondering how it yeah. bridges, you know, how how Rebirth bridges the gap between old, uh, or I guess I should say like original continuity and New 52. But so far, I think for the most part, books are bridging that. Uh, there are some that I feel like aren't at all, like Batgirl. But uh, overall, I, I feel like the majority of comics that have come out are, are really well done. I'm reading Wonder Woman for the first time in years since oh. I've, yeah, which is, I think, just an amazing book. And, and just trying new books that I probably normally would not. But across the board, I would say that the comics are, are really well published and well done. Oh, that sounds good. I'm, I'm glad you really enjoy Wonder Woman because I'm finding it a little bit slow in both the stories. Okay. It's like, oh, just get on with it, Greg Rucker. <laughs> well, maybe you're too uh, too much of a Wonder Woman connoisseur, and you already know this, but maybe it's from you know people like me who aren't as much into Wonder mm. Woman. I think, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think I'm just sort of, I've seen the Wonder Woman origin so many times. In the past year, I think I've had three different versions of the origin with, with, with the Legend of Wonder Woman digital series and the, mm-hmm. Earth two, the, Earth, the Earth One book and now this again. It's like, they're all, all good in their own way, but I just, I just want to get on with telling Wonder Woman stories. Yeah, I understand. How are you feeling about uh, the current movies that have come out? Because I haven't, uh, I've talked with you about Batgirl and things like that, but yeah. never the, the cinematic universe. So how have you felt about the productions of the DC movies? Oh, they're, they're interesting. I mean, I can't not go. I mean, I, I mean, going, going back, say, as far as the Christopher Nolan movies, I'm not, I was never a fan of those. I managed about one and a half before I just got so sick of a Batman that had to be so realistic he couldn't move his head. Okay, just, yeah. Just, oh, God, so, so too earnest. I mean, maybe they got better. Mm-hmm. I'll revisit them at some point. I'll, I'll try the third one. Super, the Superman film, I'm pretty much with, I think, I think a lot of people in that I just found it too violent and depressing. Mm. Superman versus Batman I actually enjoyed a little bit more, mainly because of Wonder Woman. I just found yeah. her very engaging. Mm-hmm. And Suicide Squad film, I enjoyed loads. It was, again, it was extremely uneven and you could see, you could really see that I had, you know, rewritten things and changed things. But it was just a great ride and I just loved the design of, the production design of things like... Uh, the, the the evil guy who was this who was the brother of Enchantress I think he was yeah he was so so Kirby esque and I just loved loved the individual characters I thought people like Will Will Smith and Margot did Margot Robbie did I nearly said Margot Kidder Margot yeah. Robbie yeah. did a fantastic job so did you enjoy that one I did actually enjoy that one I liked so I guess we're kind of opposites because I liked mm. Man of Steel didn't as much care for Batman versus Superman but I'm totally one hundred percent in agreement with you about Wonder Woman being a really great addition to it. And then I actually had a lot of fun with Suicide Squad. So <laughs> I guess we're a little uneven there. But that's, yeah, you're certainly not alone, though, with the not enjoying the Christian Bale portrayal of Batman as much. I, I, I believe uh, that Tom Paneris also doesn't really enjoy uh, that trilogy as much as other depictions of Batman. So you are not alone. I, I, I can't hear Batman lying without just laughing <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's deeply affected the character because I feel like mm. now every portrayal of him has that sort of voice and everything. 
So you are coming on, and we are going to be doing a Birds of Prey storyline. So I wondered, what was your, or what is your history with Birds of Prey in particular? Uh, I was there, really. I mean, I've been following Batgirl since I was a little boy, the early 70s. Followed Diana Lance, her occasional solo strips and action in adventure comics, and, and her team with the Justice League. And it's wonderful to see sort of Birds of Prey bring Barbara back to prominence after... The horrible, horrible, horrible killing joke. Right. And and the inter, the, the intervene, intermediate intervening the, the in between. I can't speak. The in between period of Suicide Squad when she came back as Amy Beddoes and Oracle mm-hmm. and this and the other. So by the time Birds of Prey came, it was just fantastic to see them get a get a spotlight and go from having occasional specials to an ongoing series that ran for years. Loved it. Do you have any particular thoughts on Huntress as a character, her relationship with Batman? I love the original Huntress, the Earth 2 version. She was okay. great. I was, I was less keen on Helena Bertinelli, but I did feel sorry for her in that she was just so sidelined and treated obnoxiously by Batman for so long. <laughs> and I liked the fact that Birds of Prey was pretty much her, well, her, her way into widespread acceptance in the DC mm-hmm. Universe. I think that, that, that and Justice League under Grant Morrison. But to me, Birds of Prey, no, I think, I think it should just be sort of Barbara and Dinah and just occasional guest stars. I've never really, I, I just don't consider Helena to be number three in the Birds of Prey. I just want her popping in occasionally, but I'd rather see Helena in her own strip. I, yeah, I agree with you that I think really the original Birds of Prey is my thought of Birds of Prey, Dinah and Oracle. Uh, and I think, you know, as I go on, I start to think of Huntress being a part of it. But I, I do like the feel of the story that, you know, we're going to review here that you've got the core members and then you sort of have guest stars that pop in and out depending on what the mission yeah. is. And that certainly is the feel, I think, of the Birds of Prey in the beginning. And then they sort of have a status quo uh, team. So you mentioned uh, Huntress being treated not well by Batman. Do you think it's deserved? Do you have any thoughts on Because this is something that I've talked with, I think, each time she's popped up. Because Batman doesn't trust her, doesn't treat her well. He may ask her help, but also is not appreciative when she lends it to him. Do you think it's deserved? Or do you have any no. thoughts on her relationship with him? No, I, I think it wasn't deserved. Because, okay, in the beginning, she was a little a little rough with the bad guy. <laughs> A, a little rough. Yeah, she came from a gangster family. Okay. But I mean, Batman is, you know, Mr. Vigilante. He's, he's such a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And all, all this time, when you know, whenever anyone else turns up on the streets, it's, you know, wanting to fight crime, and he's, get out of my city. I just don't, I just never, never liked Batman or Kenny O'Neill. Society. He was, an, you know, an urban legend and just so sort of egotistical and controlling and and just pick, picking on poor the Huntress in particular, I mean, mm-hmm. she's a good person. She's a school mom. Who wouldn't want a school <laughs> mom superheroine? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that in time, you know, she was, you know, was accepted. But I'm glad that she also just didn't, just didn't take it, and just didn't meet, that she stood up to Batman all the time, mm-hmm. which, which was pretty, pretty good. Fight, a, you know, a feisty woman, but, you know, totally deserving of being, you know, on the front lines of the Gotham fight against crime. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will uh, we'll dig in deeper, I think, with her portrayal in this particular story. Well, I think we should just get down to it. We should start our review because I'm getting excited for it. Uh, so we 
Martin and I are going to review the Birds of Prey manhunt story. And whereas previously I've been doing one-shots with my guest host, this is actually a four-issue story. So this is kind of exciting. So I'm going to recap all four issues, and then we'll look at each issue in particular and then do an overall. Birds of Prey manhunt was written by Chuck Dixon, all four issues, uh, penciled by Matt Haley, all four issues. The inker on parts one and four was Wade Van Graalbadger. Graalbadger. <laughs> very interesting name. Part two was John Lowe, and part three was Cam Smith. And then the colorist for all four issues was Gloria Vasquez. So this is part one, where revenge delights. Black Canary drives into an underground parking garage looking for somebody named Archer Braun. She is directed by Oracle, who feeds Black Canary intel on the building's security systems. What both women do not know is that Huntress is sneaking into the building above the parking garage while Black Canary deals with Braun's armed security forces. The moves by Huntress in the upper part of the building force Archer Braun to escape in his sports car. Dinah is not able to follow him because her car is riddled by bullets from the security guards. As Huntress confronts Black Canary, it becomes clear that both came here for the same reason. Huntress tells Dinah that she immediately fell for Archer after meeting him at the opera, but after sleeping with him, he never called back. Dinah, also, I know. Dinah also came close to Braun, but never fell for him. He was just fun. It just happened that both women recognized a certain body part of Archer Braun in security camera footage from a holdup at the Bengston Mint in Bristol, which is famous for its Judy Garland collector plates and collector chess sets. But they also print currency and mint coins for foreign accounts like Transbelvia and Relasia, one of my favorite countries, and the Caraco Emirate, and thus decided to search for him. So they recognized him in the security for footage and they went after him and they are not alone because suddenly Catwoman appears and she is looking for Mr. Braun as well and this leads us into part two which is the man who got away I believe it was called Catwoman tells Black Canary and Huntress that she supported a bank job of Archer Braun but afterwards he did not pay her Despite their motives being different, all three ladies decide to work together and find Archer Braun. Because Oracle continuously warns Dinah not to ally herself with Catwoman, Dinah cuts her off by taking off her earrings, which double as the hearing half of a communication device. The three heroines follow Braun to the Gotham airport, where Black Canary jumps onto Braun's car at full speed and tries to get control of the steering wheel. Huntress and Catwoman are unable to support her because Braun's henchmen hit their car with a bazooka. Huntress and Catwoman can only watch how the villain pulls Black Canary into the cargo bay of his airplane. As the plane hits the runway, suddenly Batman and Robin arrive with the Batmobile, but even they are unable to catch up. Huntress and Catwoman evade a confrontation with the Dark Knight and break into a nearby hotel room to reassess the situation. Catwoman intends to contact a criminal and a fence named Solomon Cadiz to get information about the whereabouts of Archer Braun. As Catwoman enters the bedroom of Solomon, she is attacked by his bodyguard slash nurse. 
And in the garden of the estate, Huntress is not faring any better as she gets surrounded by attack dogs and armed security guards. And I was incorrect. Actually, the uh, part two is named Girl Crazy. It's part three that was The Man That Got Away, which actually is a Judy Garland song that is found in A Star Is Born. A crazy Judy Garland Mickey Rooney movie. Oh, really? Oh, so are all oh, I of these? Oh, where no. Revenge Delights, though? That sounds like a dark film. I don't know. And then, <laughs> oh, gosh. And then the fourth one is Lady's Choice. That's interesting. I wonder if they all are. Huh. That would be something. I'll have to look yes. that up. Uh, yes, I wish I'd spoken previously. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's okay. Because I, I obviously recognize The Man That Got Away because it was actually a song that I sang when I w- played Dorothy in A Wizard of Oz. We changed out one of the songs and put that one in. So I knew that oh. one right away. But that other one that you said I didn't recognize. So maybe they all four are. Uh, so, and what you don't know is actually I had already chosen for my intro song, so you'll be hearing it for sure. So part three is The Man That Got Away. Oracle still has a one-way communication connection with Black Canary, who is taken to an undisclosed location by Archer Braun. In the mansion of Solomon Kaditz, Catwoman is fighting a bodyguard slash nurse, while Huntress is in the garden dealing with some security guards and Kaditz's dogs. Both women flee from the estate after Kaditz told Catwoman about the location to which Archer Braun might want to escape. Assisted by Batman and Robin, Oracle tries to keep track of Braun's plane, but the crafty villain uses a trick to get off the flight radar. Oracle ensures Batman she will take care of the situation, and surprisingly, with a word, Batman agrees to not interfere in her further investigations. Catwoman informs Huntress that Braun is trying to hide somewhere in Russia. As Huntress addresses the problem that this country is still very large, both women suddenly hear something beeping. Catwoman finds Black Canary's earrings and hears Oracle, who is trying to make contact. Oracle tells Catwoman and Huntress that she may have identified the exact location where Archer Braun is heading and will make all necessary travel arrangements for them. After landing in Kazakhstan, Braun and Dinah need to use horses to reach their final destination, a hidden city called Kachik 99. Braun explains that the city was once a weapons test site. One of these weapons was a plastic eating virus, which accidentally <laughs> stripped half of the city's infrastructure. Now, Kachik 99 is used as a base of operations by terrorists and other criminals. So it's not surprising that gladiator like fighting pits are part of local entertainment. Black Canary watches how a hooded woman does dispatches her opponent with one deadly strike and immediately recognizes the combat style of, of course, <laughs> Lady Shiva Wusan. Yawn. <laughs> Why is it a yawn? You're not excited by Lady Shiva? No, I get so bored with her. <laughs> Lady well, Shiva guess... and Lynx and people, just all these Denny O'Neill female fighting people in your Cheshire. And, oh, oh, boy, yeah. we're going to have to talk about this, flesh this out then. And then finally, it's part four, which is Lady's Choice. In Kachik 9-9, Archer Braun has a serious problem with a fellow criminal named Sergei, who is very angry with Braun because he did not deliver the promised amount of American money in exchange for letting him participate in Afghan drug businesses. Sergei orders Lady Shiva to kill both Braun and Black Canary, but Lady Shiva objects. She is more interested in testing Black Canary's combat skills. But Braun steps in and actually is able to deflect all of Lady Shiva's blows directed at him. Oracle listens carefully and comes to the conclusion 
conclusion that Bronn must have some kind of superhuman ability. After that, Bronn takes Dinah into a holding cell. She wants to attack him, but again, Bronn shows an uncanny ability to predict all her moves. Meanwhile, Huntress and Catwoman are already in Kazakhstan and on their way to Kachik 9-9. But the plastic-eating virus that was set free in Kachik is still active and destroys parts of their, their car engine, leading to a breakdown. So they make their way to the city on foot. Directed by Oracle, they start to investigate the city. Oracle tells them that Braun was subject to experiments by the KGB, and they gave him precognitive abilities, which thus explains his combat skills. He is able to anticipate his opponent's moves by reading his or her thoughts. Finally, the women reach Dinah's cell, but she has already fled. Instead, they find Braun and Lady Shiva, which instantly leads to a fight. Catwoman's chances against Lady Shiva are low, and she takes the fight outside, so Huntress is left in the cell with Archer Braun. But due to his psychic abilities, Huntress is totally outmatched at first. Then Oracle helps her, giving Huntress commands, while Helena clears her mind so that Braun is not able to foresee her moves. This way, Huntress beats her adversary. But against Oracle's pleas, she makes no effort to rescue Braun from from the fire that had started during the fight. Outside, Huntress reunites with Catwoman and Black Canary, who together were able to hold Lady Shiva back. Uh, They do not see any reason to prolong the fight, and they ride out of the city. And next up, I wanted to read this from the uh, last page here. It says, Coming soon, Black Canary slash Oracle, Birds of Prey, the Slaves of Santa Prisca. So this is something I'm going to get back to. Okay, so (laughs) we're going to start with issue one. Normally I do big picture and then zero in, but I kind of want to zero in first and then do big picture. So starting off, uh, how do you feel just being thrown in the action right away and then backing off a little bit later and giving backstory? How do you like this as a storytelling? Yeah. I like it in action. It's very zippy dialogue. You know, you fill you, you fill in pretty quickly as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. You immediately get you know good character dynamics between Dinah and Oracle. I think I think it's nice. I mean, a lot of the time I do like a nice straightforward a straightforward opening in terms of you know like things are quiet and the action amps up. But here I, I think a superheroine like Black Canary just suits just being straight in there. You know, this is her typical day. She's in there in the action. It's mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And also, I, I think you don't want an info dump right at the beginning that mm-hmm. this is, you know, why all this is happening. So I think it's good that you're all of a sudden engaged in the action. And then when there's time or like filling in what's going on and connecting it, I, I think it works really well. I don't think every story can do this, but I think it works for this particular one. What do you think about the story initially being about a guy that scorned mm-hmm. three women? And And we're talking, I mean, Birds of Prey is supposed to be you know, show empowerment of women. But here we've got this guy that, you know, basically used them and dumped them. And, uh, you know, does that work with this title, you think? I think it's terrible. I mean, I think this was, obviously this was years before they came up with the Bechdel test. I think it's pretty poor that a writer of Chuck Dixon's caliber couldn't, apparently couldn't think of a better way to bring the women together than through a man. I mean, it's it's just like <laughs> back to the 1960s when you'd get a brave and bold issue and it would be Wonder Woman and Supergirl fighting over a ma- men in Paris or something. It's just, and there's, there has to be a better way to bring them together than this man who, as far as I can see, just has nothing in particular that would sort of 
make these women so fixated on him or, mm-hmm. unless unless it was something to do with his psychic power because he, he had some kind of love power which obviously he hasn't it's yeah. just he's just uh, these these are experienced you know super super heroines mm-hmm. and what and they should have some kind of instinct you know they should not be taken in we were meant to believe that hunt a month was falling i don't believe it yeah, I, I agree that I was sort of rolling my eyes in the beginning when, you know, she's going on about the date and then Dinah. And it was very disappointing just that it seemed like at first, right, that they were going after this mm-hmm. guy because he broke their hearts. I'm glad that there's a second layer to it that perhaps because they were upset at it, they were investigating him or, you know, trying to find him, which then seems even worse. But, you know, there's a criminal element to it. So I guess it's a little bit better. But I think it's just that first part that's hard to get past, at least with Catwoman. Catwoman seems to be the strongest of the three here because she just wanted her money. Like She didn't really have any attraction to him at all. She just was there for business, which I think is very different from the other two. Oh, Cat, Catwoman is just delightful beginning to end in this miniseries. Love mm-hmm. the bits. Absolutely. Uh, we get more of a development between Oracle and Canary here, especially for me. I just, from the get-go, had a smile on my face with the moments, just the well-used humor and the quips, Oracle's frustrations at times. What did you think about their portrayal here and how it's been developing? It was really very good indeed. I mean, because obviously, you know, at that, that time, Dinah still didn't know the Oracle was the former bad girl, mm-hmm. and so they're getting to know each other. Still, I mean, they're feeling each other out. On you know, Barbara has the advantage that she seems to know everything about about Dinah, mm-hmm. whereas, whereas Dinah a little bit more resentful than Black Canary in terms of you know this this person just you know trust me enough to do their mission, but not enough to tell me who they you know a little bit more about who they are. But mm-hmm. you know, Black Canary is cooler than I am, <laughs> and but but it meant, it meant that over time you know. They're building the relationship slowly, you know. When when the big when the reveal comes, it just it just means more. It's more enjoyable. So I think mm-hmm. I think Chuck did an excellent job overall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, little cute moments. I, I think you know Dinah calling her Jiminy is, is great, and I think it's even more than a nickname. Nickname, quite honestly, because I think Barbara really does serve that purpose of being some sort of conscience to Dinah and. You know, in this one, telling her not to talk to certain people or trying to help her out, which I think is great. What do you think about Oracle's focus on non-lethal force as a way to set the tone and focus of the team? Because she's really heavy on it. She mentions it quite quite a bit. That's perfect. I mean, she's no reason to think that Black Canary will use lethal force particularly, but in terms of the Huntress, right. the Huntress had a bit of a reputation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Barbara, you know, for obvious reasons, you know, isn't, isn't really a person who approves of guns. She's really mm-hmm. a it. I mean, she's a member of the Batman family anyway, but after, after the horrific trauma that happened to her, she's just not wanting to see that happen to anybody else. I think she wouldn't want to see even even the fam, the families of cooks who got killed to see them go through any kind of pain. Right. So, no, it, it's great. As I say, I think it's not necessary in Dinah's case, but at this stage, it's probably, it's understandable that she is wary of Huntress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think very much Oracle is almost the Batman of of this issue uh, with setting the tone. And I think also it shows how much Barbara is influenced by Batman because, yeah, she's against guns. She's very much against Huntress in this, and, and Batman is at this time as well. And I like how there is that mention of guns and also very subtly the mention of the Joker, that she knew someone who has yes. crossed the line, which I think is nice. 
but even Catwoman told Huntress not to be lethal, which I thought, gee, if, you know, the felon is telling you not to do something. You and I talked, I think, maybe it was on Facebook uh, chat, but about the butt shot and oh, how Braun is... Re- what do you think about this, sir? It's ludicrous. It is ludicrous. <laughs> yes. Yes, you would think, you know, a man or a woman has a fine bottom. Yeah. I cannot believe that you can be so sharp, you can recognize someone by their bottom, their bum, their ass, and yet you can't realize that they're, they're bad news from the beginning. It's uh, bum, bums are quite similar. Athletic, <laughs> one athletic bum looks like another athletic bum, particularly. Okay, a swimmer's bottom is not like a wrestler's bottom, but mm-hmm. I just... They'd have to be psychotic to be so fixated on bottoms. But this this is a thing that's obviously gone into into Batgirl law with all the business about Dick Grayson's bottom. And I don't know, how do you as a straight lady, how do you? <laughs> as a straight lady. <laughs> I think it's bizarre. I'm. This wasn't shocking to me, if only because it's been happening quite recently with Nightwing. Yeah, like suddenly women can recognize Babs and Huntress. Ironically, can in in the you know the new Fifty Two stuff could recognize Nightwings behind. I don't understand it. I guess it's maybe a way to glorify like the male form, whereas normally it's you know women and and their busts and everything for men. Maybe this is like a switch. So yeah. trying to be equal in, in representation of both gender forms. Uh, but I still, I, yeah, you're right that it's not like it's a fingerprint. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I guess they're distinct technically, um, but they do look very similar. So how would you really know whose butt that was? I, I suppose maybe, maybe sort of without criminally, they say put in context with the body language of his head. And, yeah. Know, actually, now I'm making excuses. It's just bonkers. <laughs> We'll go with that. I I agree. So I'm going to move on to uh, part two. And here, uh, Dinah doesn't really know who Huntress is or about her her methods or the fact that she's not sanctioned in Gotham. Do you think this is realistic that Dinah wouldn't know either about Huntress or or know who Huntress is or about her? I think so. I think at this period she'd been... In fact, had she been in Seattle for a while? Had she been in league at this point? Oh, Uh, that's true. But I think I think you know I think she, I never got the impression that Diana was Diana was a superhero gossip. Mm-hmm. You know, Wonder Woman, Hawk Girl. I bet they were down in the malt shop gossiping about the men. And the, no, I I I think well because okay, although Diana you know, Diana had a big history in Gotham, she hadn't been living in Gotham for years, mm-hmm. so she might not be sort of too off here with the new people on the scene. And she wasn't particularly close to Batman, despite obviously being in the league with him for years and having some good. Brave and bold team ups, but I don't. I never got the impression that they would, you know, phone each other or that she was in the bat loop. So mm-hmm. I think it's fair enough. Yeah, that's something. At first, I thought for me, I thought I didn't. It wasn't realistic, but I guess it's because I imagine that everyone knows each other, uh, you know, in the superhero community. But you bring up a good point that she may not have even been over here. She was probably over in Seattle, and the fact that this is a bat family character and she's not necessarily associated with them the only reason she's associated yes. is because of oracle so i think you it makes me rethink what i was originally thinking oracle pushes the police that they should use them they should call them and they can handle it mm. why do you think she does this because normally heroes want to take care of business themselves but she's actually saying hey the cops could take care of this let's move on but of course they don't listen to her well i, I wonder if like me she just thinks that this guy at this stage, we don't know he has superpowers. Mm. And to me, 
by issue two, he's just seeming far too penny ante for the for, for the attention of four of DC's finest females. I mean, okay, there was the the romantic, the romantic nonsense and cat, you know, Catwoman's interest in the jewels, but basically, he doesn't seem to be anyone who would warrant their attention. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think, and I think maybe he also wants to want. She also maybe wants to get get her friends, acquaintances. Away from this guy because they're obviously very dated yeah. by him. Yeah, but I, yeah, but may, but I, mainly I think he's probably just not interesting enough for Babs because she hasn't fallen under his spell. Mm, yeah, very true. I almost wonder if um, she doesn't necessarily fully trust uh, the abilities of well Dinah, I guess, and then the other two, and feels like maybe the police are more capable. But I also agree with what you just said, that she wants to, you know, get her gal pals slash not gal pals out of there, potentially. But it's just, I feel like nowadays this doesn't really happen. It it always seems like the vigilantes or the heroes are at odds with the police or are going about what they're doing in two different ways. So this was just interesting that she kept bringing them up and saying, they can do it, they can do it. Well, I also think with with Barbara's family background, she she trusts the police more. She has a lot more faith in the police than other people, mm-hmm. other superheroines. You know, she, I mean, she's basically she was she was you know part raised by the, the cops of Gotham Police Department. You know, she was always hanging out with them and things. So, I think you know maybe she wanted to throw her father a bone. There you go. If you were Oracle, would you work with Dinah again after this? Uh, because she ignores your advice about Catwoman and Huntress. Would you work with her again? Yes, because she's so competent. She shows that she doesn't need. Barbara in here all the time because Barbara is, you know, okay, she's the information broker, she can give you plans of buildings and things, but she's very controlling at this stage. But I mean, Dinah, Dinah has been a superheroine longer than Barbara. She does, she does not need, you know, Barbara to be telling her what to do the whole time and to be, you know, she doesn't trust Dinah's instincts, obviously. I can understand why Dinah put the, you know, it was naughty, but I can understand why Dinah took them out for a while so she could concentrate on the case because she's there. And she has to be think, you know, she has to be in the moment rather than someone whispering in her ear, her Jiminy, the whole time. Mm-hmm. I can understand Barbara being frustrated and a little bit angry in the heat of the moment when she does that. But the case gets wrapped up. Dinah proves again how capable she is. Dinah's such, just such a fantastic person. I can't imagine you're not wanting to work with her. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder if you've got like a three strikes and you're out situation with Babs because it's not like it's the first time that Dinah has gone against what Oracle has told her to do. <laughs> So I do wonder how often this is going to happen and and why she keeps coming back to her. But I think there is something there already, some sort of bond and and trust that Oracle has, or else she wouldn't work with her again. Because for me, I'd be like, you did not listen to me. You put yourself in a dangerous situation. You were trusting people you shouldn't have. I'd be pretty close to kicking her out of my superhero club. But she hired Dinah. She wanted she went to Dinah. Yeah. like I said, Diane Diner is at least her equal. Mm-hmm. You know, Diane Diner has no idea who Oracle is or what her background is or why she should listen to her telling her how to go about her superhero business. That's true. But if you pay someone for a service, are you just paying for them to finish it or do you care about how that service is done? I think you should be trust the person's skills and instincts. <laughs> I mean she could have she could have hired Jason Bard, for God's sake. Oh, uh, that's true. But what are you saying? Do you not like Jason Bard? I like Jason Bard. I used to I used to read Jason Bard when he was drawn by Don Heck and had his stick and things. And <laughs> I, like, I like Jason Bard well enough. But this is this is Black Canary. She's one of the world's greatest superheroes. Mm-hmm. You know, she does not need to be babysat the whole time. Okay. 
Uh, do you agree with Oracle calling Batman for help? Uh, no, no. I think, but I think, I think the reason. I mean, I got a bit frustrated when Batman shows up, but I think the reason Batman's in at that point is so that later on in the storyline, he, you know, he can he can then tell Barbara, you know, mm-hmm. you can have my help, but only if you want it. And she says, mm-hmm. I don't want it. And he says, you know, basically says, that's fine. I trust you. And she says, Wow. So I think it's just you know showing that she's she's she really has got the bat approval. Yeah, I think because I was also a little frustrated when he showed up. It was almost like if you ask your mom for something and your mom says no, and then you go to dad because, you know, Oracle is offering the police and they're not helping. So then she calls in sort of the big guns and I thought, oh, I guess you really don't trust your team as much. But I agree that it does set up that really pivotal moment because Batman just asked, can you handle this? And she said, a little hesitating at first, but then she says yes, and, and he lets her have it. And I think that's such a great moment that, you know, as Batgirl, I think, in a sense, and also as Oracle, that he's giving her the reins to, to figure this case out and to work as a hero in Gotham, which I think is enormous from Batman. Absolutely, yeah. And there was, what do you think of the moment when Catwoman calls Diana Pretty Bird? Ooh, yeah, I wrote that in my notes. And that sets Dinah on edge. And I really thought it was a great moment because that was something Ollie used to call her. And now Ollie currently is dead. So I think it's that would make sense that she would be really upset by that. And her feathers would be ruffled, as it were. Oh, that's what you did there, Stella. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder though, I mean, is, is Pretty Bird a thing that people say in the U.S.? Do you, I mean, because as far as I knew, that was just that was always Ollie's thing. And I'm thinking, yeah. why would she say that? And then again, maybe maybe Catwoman heard Ollie say that at some point. Yeah, who knows? Or just like a... You know, she's pretty and she's a black canary, so I, I don't know how she got yeah. it. But it was, it was a great moment, I oh, think, it was, nonetheless. It was fan, fan, fantastic, really, really good. Yeah. And uh, if I may ask, how do you think Car Chase is working comics? <laughs> it's funny you're bringing it up because we've got a car chase here. We've got a car chase in the modern tale that um, we'll be covering later. How do they work? Um, they Well, they seem to work with a lot of destroyed cars and they're a little i love the fast and furious uh, movie series but car chases and comics seem like as fantastical as the fast and the furious because people should be dead in this issue i think with is <laughs> dinah especially just with how yeah. much and the bazooka it's just crazy but it's a comic book so i feel like you just have to accept what was going on yeah i just find i mean i, I love matt Haley's artwork i think he's very very skilled mm-hmm but I, I just couldn't follow it at times. I mean, at one point, there's a, a panel of a big black car that looks like a Batmobile, and I couldn't figure out, what's that car? Where's that come from? What's going on? <laughs> it was the focus of the panel, and you, yeah. know, if you can explain it to me. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the big black car. Well, there's the one that's the Batmobile on is page 13. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe the, ba- maybe the Batmobile's there for a reason. I just don't know why it's there. Yeah. Who knows? Well, I mean, because he shows up, remember. Yeah, well, I thought he showed up with, with Oracle rather than in the middle of the car chase. But again, I may be misreading, but I, I've got the, I've got I've got the comics on the iPad and on the on the laptop, and I, I daren't move to them now. I'm too scared. Oh, that's okay. That is okay. <laughs> um, but I do because if it's the page I'm where I do see the spiky car, Catwoman or Huntress pulls Catwoman down and says, "I don't need him seeing me." Oh, right. So maybe Batman's going. So it is, yeah, Batman, and yeah. Oh, I'm such a stook. No, no, we're, I mean, 
clarify I always need clarifications on certain things too. So yeah, I think they're going after the plane, but that's when they radio back and said they missed the the plane taking off. So they didn't catch it in time. I liked the at the end with the attack dogs and Huntress with the beef jerky as an aid, which clearly did not help at all. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought that was fun. It reminded me of a moment in, uh, I don't know whether you, read, whether you ever read Action Comics Weekly, when they, they rebooted Phantom Lady, they had a new Phantom Lady, and there was a similar scene where she's getting attacked by dogs, and I think if memory serves, she actually kills the dog. Not oh, good. Dear. Oh, dear. So better with the beef jerky. Yeah, no, n- yeah. But it was, it was really good. I, I, I mean, I love Chuck Dixon. It was really good at the, good at the humour, both in the dialogue and just having little, little moments of slapstick, or just little little moments of bonkersness, really. <laughs> Yeah, but I I also love the the straightforward characterization. Like I mean, mm-hmm. that that panel in silhouette with Catwoman where she's explaining, you know, what type of things she steals, mm-hmm. and you know, she says, you know, I steal precious goods, rarities. I don't usually touch cash. It's icky and has germs all over it. Yeah, and it's not especially pretty, and you know, it's lovely. And <laughs> for some reason, she's going snicked with her brain. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, and it's such a, a beautiful little silhouette by Matt Haley. Yep. Really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing I want to say about issue two is that in the letters page, Jordan B. Gorfinkel states that there will be a Birds of Prey adventure every three months. Oh, really? Which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, they obviously got better sales than they expected since it came yeah. in a series soon. But yeah, I'd forgotten that letter column because my, my, my comics are in England at my dad's house. So, you know. Oh, OK. Yeah. So on to issue three or part three, I guess I should say. Yes, indeed. Yes. Okay. So I, w- I do want to mention that there are two discrepancies that I noticed. I wondered if you noticed. So at the end of issue or part two, the nurse is a bald black man. And yes. then in the beginning of three, he's a white man with like Moe's hair from the Three Stooges. Yeah, that was ludicrous yeah yeah so there's a bit of a change and then the other thing is oracle tries to see if dinah can hear her and then she realized she realizes that dinah doesn't have the earrings but in the previous issue dinah told her flat out that she didn't have the earrings and couldn't hear her so i kind of wondered what was going on between issue two and three i guess yeah, I, I don't know i well i i have a note on that as well stella because in in the first birds of prayer dinah gives her the earrings but also a throat a throat microphone and I was wondering if maybe sort of both would sort of trans transmit, but I no, I was I was also confused by that. I really liked the uh, full page spread in the very beginning of the women and their current predicaments. I thought that was because I feel like back then you don't really see as many full page spreads. They happen a lot now in modern comics, but um, yeah, I just thought it was a great art. It was very very nicely done indeed, and it just you know, obviously showed you where they were. What was going on? No, I loved it. Yeah. What do you think about Oracle laughing at her Catwoman joke? <laughs> well, that was the, that was the panel I put on Facebook. I think wasn't it where the bois ha ha? Yeah. It's terrifying. Look at that face. What's I know. Going on? She just looks absolutely freakish. I liked it because it was just so unexpected. After after you know two two issues of Oracle being you know Mrs. you know super super serious all the time, and then mm-hmm. just losing it because she made a gag. And yeah. it's, it was funny. I loved it. I, <laughs> it's just so uncommon, I feel, for Oracle uh, because she's – it's not like she's a stick in the mud like Batman, but I, I think she is a little – she has gravitas. And I think especially yeah. on this mission to see her crack a joke like that, especially at Catwoman's expense, I think is pretty hilarious. It was. But I think she's getting her own back because of that, that fantastic panel, which is actually my, my favorite panel of the whole four series, four issues, in which uh, – 
Catwoman's on the telephone to Oracle and she's saying, you're the same one I talked to back when the clench was raging. Yeah. Yes, yes, Catwoman. You're like a receptionist for all the vigilantes, right? Yeah. Fantastic. Being called a receptionist, please. Catty. I know. Huntress takes time off as a teacher. She has to call on the principal. And I just want to ask Tom what his thoughts are on this because... I teach, and Tom Penneris teaches, and I just feel like this would be terrible. For me personally, I I have to find my own sub. And I think, Tom, the sub is provided, but I can just imagine being a vigilante and having to call in and call my own sub before <laughs> before going on a mission and be terrible. That guy used to be a teacher. She could call him. Oh, gosh. There you go. <laughs> I, I love the the fact that it was brought up that they had to change into clothes that were all natural fiber. So I'm glad that that was a detail that was brought in because they were going to the Kachik 9-9 that would eat up the plastics. I thought that oh, was yeah. a nice detail. Well, that, that was good fun. Yeah, I, I love the, the little moment when you've got Batman and Robin in the Batmobile and Tim's just sitting there nonchalantly reading while bat- batting away. Yeah. So <gasps> cool. Uh, and then I also like that Dinah tells Oracle, I miss you, which is, uh, I think, a very personal and intimate moment, given that their relationship has only just started. And, you know, it's it's sort of long distance because you're she doesn't know who she is and it's mm-hmm. only audio. But I, I think that just shows the impact that Oracle has had on Dinah and how they've progressed as teammates and potentially friends. I just thought that was a great moment. Yeah, because I, I, I think Dinah really did need friends back then. Because yeah, think, thinking on it was probably what, within the first year of Ollie being being comic book dead. Yeah, and and I think you know she's we had that 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 moment in the earlier Birds of Prey series, Birds of Prey issue when when I think it was was it the showcase where it was very very bitter. Yes, about Ollie yep. saying he deserved it was to die. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, you've co- you've covered all that, but I just find that quite alarming and wrong. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it, nice it was... that she's getting a friend. Yeah. Well, she said that. I mean, she's bitter because he died for a city and not for her. So yeah, that's just. I mean, obviously, mixed emotions. The man, the man's dead, and she's working it through. So yeah. But that within, you know, birds of prey is helping her get her life back. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Uh, Shiva. I was actually, I knew who it was right away. I was like, oh, that's Lady Shiva. But I get excited because I think, you know, she's one of the top tier fighters in the DCU. And I feel like Black Canary is also. So I was like, yeah, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? But you were just yawning over there. So I want to hear more about your thoughts on this. Well, I've just said O'Neill Time and Book's work. I think, I think he created Lady Shiva for, for Richard Dragon in the 70s. And you just dropped her into so many of her books and she'd turn up and you'd have, you know, all these incredible heroes like Robin who could beat anybody. And then Lady Shiva would turn up and, oh, Chucky, Kiki, and she could, <laughs> I don't know, am I being a little bit racist? I hope not, sorry. A <laughs> just being bored. But just the idea that, you know, she's couldn't be a match for anybody. I mean, at the point, is it in the last issue of this, this mini-series, they actually run away from Lady Shiva at one point? Yes, they do. Mary and Huntress and Catwoman. Mm-hmm. They run away from a woman who, okay, she's one of the world's top martial artists. There's three of them. They're all at the top of their game. And I just, I don't, I just, I prefer heroes that can, I think, they can do something a bit, more, a bit more interesting than be at peak physical fitness. You know, I find Karate Kid boring, that sort of thing. And just the martial art, DC has just, so many 
female martial artist who's just seemed to be interchangeable, and they're also fantastic. But Lady Shiva, oh, she's the best. She's great. <laughs> Lady Shave, mm, oh. marvelous. She bores me, Stella. Oh man, maybe it's because I didn't read all those comics in the seventies where she was popping up all the time. Yeah, you're not old, Stella. I know. I get it. Well, I'm no, I'm more. Well, I could have read it, you know, in back issues. But maybe it's just that I've not seen her pop up enough. So each time, it's like a novelty to me. It, it, it could, it could be, it could be. But I just, I, I can't. I just, I just get bored by her. Well, I wasn't bored, listeners. Uh, maybe because, you know, she was in this weird place, Kachik 99. And, you know, who who would have thought at the beginning that you'd have Lady Shiva pop up? So I, I think that's, I enjoyed it. That, no, that's fair enough. I, I, again, I, I also don't see her as a, a lackey type. I don't see her working for this guy who's just so unprepossessing and has a Warren Worthington the Third headpiece for no reason <laughs> at all. I mean, what, what do you think of his costume? Yeah, William Worthing did. That's that's a good, <laughs> nice little angel reference there. Yeah, I don't know why he, he wears it all the time. I wonder, well, clearly at the opera or some other place when he's picking up chicks, um, he doesn't need to wear it. But uh, he, he, I guess, trying to make him the worst malevolent villain that he can be. And, of course, anyone who wears his costume all the time is that type of villain. But, yeah, I think it's just making him, you know, comic booky, perhaps. It could be, but it was terrible, terrible design. All those strange arrows <laughs> on the chest and things. But I don't think we've ever seen him since, so I'll, I shall let it go. Yeah, I don't think so either. I didn't do research on that. But, yeah, it's interesting where now I feel like suits always have uh, a purpose. Like anything that goes on has a purpose. But back then, I think, in the 90s perhaps, it was just like, let's make it as crazy as possible. My final thing is that many mentions or a couple mentions of the Santa Prisca mission, which was technically the second mission together with Barbara and Dinah. And we actually have never seen it on page. We only saw the follow-up in the Showcase 94 issue with Lois that you were talking about. But in the letters page of issue one, Gorfinkel actually states that the next story will be a Dinah Babs only tale regarding this lost mission. So I'm very happy that it's not just being mentioned and it happened in off-panel land, which is a place that I despise, but we're actually going to get to see what happened. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Is Santa Prisca in that where Ben comes from? Yes, it is. Theatrical yawn number two. Oh no, what's your beef with Bane, Martin? He's poor. He's big, he wears a stupid mask, he broke <laughs> Batman's back and then Batman recovered. He's just, oh, just go away, Ben. I can't believe it. What, who's your favorite villain? Tell me right now who your favorite Batman villain is. Favorite Batman villain is, I and, think, I think Two-Face. I like okay. Two-Face, I like the Scarecrow. Yeah, just, I mean, Ben, he's just, he's like Doomsday and Superman. He's just basically big and bulky. He's just unstoppable, but that's <laughs> dull. I like I like the planners, the ones you can really interact with that have an interesting backstory. I mean, Bane, what was he born in prison, injected with drugs, put a mask on? Yeah, snooze. Oh my goodness. Well, I don't know if your uh opinion can be counted well when you really like Velvet Tiger. Oh Velvet Tiger, she's so <laughs> slinky and sexy. Oh wow. My gosh. I'm a, I'm a cat person. Oh god, that doesn't mean anything. You're a cat person. Should then you should like cheetah and. I I, well, I don't. I don't like cheetah in Wonder Woman at the moment because she's gets called Barbara Anne all the time, which is annoying. She's been Barbara <laughs> for years and years, and she is Bob, 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 Bob. I can't read Barbara Anne without singing. 
Don't be Greg Rooker. Oh, goodness. Okay, so let's move on to the fourth and final part then. How did you feel about the transition between issues three and four? Because I felt like we missed some time there, and I didn't really like it. Here's my note. The opening is a bit strange. Dash, mm-hmm. that's not where the last issue ended. Yep. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how, could, how can that slip through? I mean, you have an editor. He gets the, you know, <laughs> you know, even if he doesn't get the, get, get, okay, it's, just, it's like, I don't know. If it's, if it's a creative reason on the part of Chuck Dixon, what was it? How did it help? It just has you scratching the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Does it make sense to wait until the fourth issue to get more details on Braun, specifically his powers? To my if if we at least given us little hints in the second issue or something, I would have been a, a bit more interested. But by the time he's got powers, I'm already sort of you know pushing him out the door. It's like go away, you're not worthy. <laughs> yeah, I I wish we would have found out a little sooner. I yeah. I just feel like they're waiting until the very end to add details and give him more legitimacy as a villain. Yeah, and, and the power is so ludicrous. I mean, I, I, I forget who it is that can anticipate someone's fight. That's, that's quite clever. I can Isn't see it, that. Is it Taskmaster it, that has that ability? Yes, that, he, can, he can do that. And I think there's someone else. And Dream, Dream Girl in the Legion of Superheroes, she was able to, because she could see into the future, she could right. sort of, sort of have, a, have a low-level version of that power and she could sort of just, you know, pretty much see like seconds in the future and anticipate what was go, what they were going to do. And also a guy in the Doom, one of the Doom Patrol versions could do that. The, this idea... He could sort of, you know, see into the future. That's just, that's not a psychic power. That isn't a psychic power. That's a reality bending type power, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think when you were recapping, you said at one point that he, it was said that he was, you know, reading it, anticipating or reading the reading what they were going to do. But it states at one point in the comic that he is looking into the future, I think. And yeah. I, I don't like it. I I feel like it does really speak to your favorite character, Shiva's fighting prowess. If the only way someone can defend against her is because that person has clairvoyant powers. Well, absolutely, so. I mean, I I don't doubt that Shiva is, you know, the best the best martial artist in the DC universe or yeah. whatever. I just She's again, a, I think I understand. Uh, yeah, I just I think I just haven't seen enough personal development of her. I just yeah, she just she just turns, she fights, she's incredible. Whereas someone like Chester, I find more interesting because of she with. And the fact that she blew up a country mm-hmm. more interesting. Yeah. Blew up a country, Shiva. Oh, gosh. Huh? Uh, another discrepancy I found, Hunters and Catwoman are somehow communicating with Oracle without a phone, uh, which was how they were communicating before. And they only have the earrings, which receive audio. So I'm not sure how they're talking to her. I, I don't normally pick out, well, maybe I do nitpick and things like that. But I just catch it, I guess. And that was I something I caught. I just have to, yeah. I just started assuming that it was a two-way thing that it was you know receiving and sending. Oh, okay. So that one's audio and well, audio both ways, but the earrings are just audio only. What are your thoughts on Huntress leaving Braun to die and Oracle actually yelling at her? It was a bit harsh than I would have expected because by that time she was pretty much transitioning into being mm-hmm. you know a non-lethal player because she you know she was getting like. She was hanging around with the Batman family, and you can't have a superheroine going around killing people. And by not re- not even trying to rescue him, she's killing him, and that's not acceptable. And that that should have been a three strikes and you're out thing. Yeah, no doubt. Well, yeah, or one strike you're out uh, because Sorry, yes, she. One strike, so yeah, yes. Huntress c- completely ignores her. She doesn't even say anything. She just walks out of there. Yeah, I wonder if it'll be addressed later on when Oracle and Huntress meet again, but. I guess we'll see. Yeah, she's she's not dealing well with rejection. 
Yeah. How do you rank Catwoman as a fighter in the DCU? Because she's uh, struggling, which I guess she should be, against Lady Shiva. I think she's not one of the best fighters in the DCU, but one-on-one one one against Batman, she has the, the advantage that Batman's oh. so, so into her. Um, oh, true, yeah. But when, but when she's, you know, in a, in, a, in a big melee like that and just in the middle of it all, you know, she's got the whip, she can bash the whip. But Catwoman's a, she's more a thinker, a planner, a, a sly, a sly thief. She's not. She's not. She's not a trained fighter, so she she can hold her own for a while. But I think it's fair enough that she's you know alongside Wow Lady Shiva, you know Black Black Canary and Huntress. She's maybe uh, not out of her depth, but she has to fight smarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would also say that with what Catwoman does, she shouldn't be in too many fights because if she's fighting people, that means she's not a very good thief. So I feel like she's only trained you know, the to the acceptable level so that she can handle herself. But she's not going to be the best because if she's stealing jewels, she should not be tumbling around with people. Definitely not. Now, what do you think of Barb sort of beautifying herself while she's controlling the mission, sort of wandering <laughs> around in the shower and spraying herself with perfume? Oh, gosh, and blow-drying her hair. You know, I like seeing this because we see Oracle doing normal things. So she's not just this person who's on the computer and barking orders she's working out she's taking a shower so i like seeing um everything and i think it also humanizes her and and shows what it's like because you know you see her legs are bound up and everything so you also get to see what it'd be like as a handicapped person lifting weights and things like that so i i enjoy getting a little peek into her life it's, it's certainly it's certainly it, it does have visual interest but i would think that at the point of the mission whereby her you know the the, the three the three two heroines and one villain they're busy sort of fighting for their lives mm-hmm. I think at that point you would sit down and focus at the computer perhaps it's true yeah maybe now she's fully trusting them to handle it so she's just like oh whatever oh, yeah. <laughs> she's, she has a hot date with Jason Bard coming oh up. boy maybe Dinah doesn't face Shiva why why do you think this bad writing there's no there's no way Dinah would run from Shiva she's a Justice Leaguer you know she's she was one of the best fighters in the DC universe. Dinah's apparently a few a few ranks below her on the ladder, but Dinah has the canary cry. This and it would run from Shiva. Mm-hmm. But is her? Does she have the canary cry now, or is she injured and doesn't have it? No, she uses it a few times in this in this in this issue. Doesn't she? Or does she? Am I getting confused I don't think with you? She does. Ones? Maybe she doesn't. You know, maybe because when birds back on the birds of prey, so similar. That one, does, yeah. As yep. you point out, it has the car chase, and it has the, mm-hmm. it has Dinah and Babs, you know, having to trust Huntress, you know, so <laughs> getting it confused in my little yeah. brain. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's injured here and doesn't have it, because she could have taken out Braun at any time with her canary cry. True, true, yeah, I can't even remember how the canary cry came back, to be honest, yeah. Uh, she was dipped in the Lazarus pit. Oh, of course she was, yes. Oh, and God. then I remember it also gave her her um, ability to uh, get pregnant again, because I think she was, something had happened. Yeah, how I hate Raja Ghul. <laughs> anyway, so another guy. <laughs> Danny O'Neill created him as well. It's just he, anyway, yes, he just does them to death. Yeah. Uh, when it comes down to it, whom do you trust more, Catwoman or Huntress? Uh, I trust I trust Catwoman more because you know Huntress has shown that she can't be trusted because she let the guy die. There was, mm. there was no there was no reason for it. Whereas you know Cat, Catwoman has been a, a player for a long time. She's She's held Batman's interest, not that that's what she sets out to do, but, you know, 
Batwoman, the, the big thing with Catwoman was she never killed. I think mm-hmm. there was one story where she did kill, but it was written by someone like Bob Hare, and it was just didn't count. But yeah. Batwoman, Catwoman never killed. And Catwoman, so far as Bat Oracle is concerned, would be more trustworthy because she's a villain, but she's a bit of an anti-hero type villain, and she doesn't kill. I I think I would agree with you with Catwoman, at least my perception of her. I haven't read too much of her in the 90s besides when it crosses over into big storylines, but I feel like also she'd be the better one to trust just because Huntress does have that lethal element to her and you know batman doesn't trust her so maybe i wouldn't either but yeah i wonder about oracle which one do you think she trusts more so who does oracle trust more catwoman or huntress yes i think again i'm with i'm catwoman catwoman okay i think so yeah yeah I'm not sure if I'm to pick her brain, which one it would be, because clearly she's got problems with both of them. But I think maybe Catwoman, because uh, just yeah, yeah, she you know really, what happened I mean, on. So yeah, yeah, and she, she and she relaxes in her interactions with making that joke and that face. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, do you think that uh, this story was worth four issues? Oh, I, th- I think they could have probably squeezed into three issues, okay. but it's. It's a, it's a fun run, but it's a, it's a roller coaster ride. And while I, do, I don't find the villain engaging in the least, and then Lady Shiva, the the characterization, the character dynamics just make it worthwhile. It's mm-hmm. just really, and we've never seen these all these interacting in one story. Right. And it, Chuck Dixon does an excellent job of you know showing their strengths, weaknesses, the difference. And I, I think they're all in the, by the miniseries. I was fine with the length. I felt like there wasn't any downtime I, I i don't think it, i felt like it was dragging um but i totally agree with you that the villain i think they're so sort of trying to figure it out i like that this guy had um powers he, there was another person who had power so they he asked he makes them work for it but i feel like the powers didn't really come into play until the last issue and i also agree with you that i think what you're coming to this issue or this story or to Birds of Prey, the reason why you're coming is not because of the villain, but because of the birds themselves and them working together, them growing as a team or individually and also working on the mission. And I think that's where we see the most success with this particular story. I think it's spot on there. But it was fun. I really enjoyed reading it again. I also liked uh, the ads. I didn't know if you picked out any of these, but Thrill Killer, Long Halloween being in these ads, I thought, oh, how nostalgic. Oh, this this is the, the sadness of reading it digitally in a collection, so I didn't get oh, any Oh, you didn't get any ads. I've okay. never read Thrill Killer. Is Thrill Killer good? It is good, yeah. Yep. Uh, Shag, Matthews, and I, your friend, uh, we actually... He's dreamy. Co- oh, boy. He... <laughs> We recorded it on, or recorded a review of it on the Fire and Water podcast, so you could always check that out. But actually, I think I, I think I have heard that. In fact. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. but shag, I just wiped it from my mind. Oh boy! Uh, another ad that I guess you didn't see was for Stick Stickly, which when I was a kid was like a big thing, especially during the summer. You'd know that there were great TV shows on Nickelodeon coming up, and I was and Crash Bandicoot. There were amazing ads in this particular. <laughs> Oh right, yeah. I mean, when when I was growing up in in the Bronze Age, yeah, in you, you get in the Bronze Age, yeah, you, you, you'd, you'd always get those yeah middle middle of the comic adverts from all the Saturday morning cartoons that we never saw and things. Yeah, fantastic. It was a real window into your world. So, what are your overall thoughts, and then your grade out of ten birds? Overall thought, it was 
extremely entertaining next step in the development of the birds. I thought it was well worth the money and it bears rereading. And I would say out of 10 birds, 8 out of 10, for, take two off for Lady Shiva and the villain. Okay. And I, yeah, I guess I I don't want to repeat myself of what I said before, but I think it's just great development, especially between Dinah and Oracle, even though you don't see them interact as much, but you have those one-way conversations, which I think told so much. You have Oracle stepping out on her own and being legitimized as such by Batman, which I think is very powerful. And then you have, uh, again, a rotating cast, and it makes it interesting because there's conflict there. So it's not like um, everything's going to be so easy. I'm going to raise you a half point and say 8.5 out of 10 birds. Oh, wow. That's very, very generous. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm a generous type of person. Not a bad thing to be. Yeah. Now it's time for some listener emails. Mail time. Mail time. First up, from Dimitri. He says, Hello, Stella. I decided to finally write to you since it was on my agenda for some time. You may remember me from my emails to Dustin over at the Batman Universe Specials feed a while back. You guys don't even know how you make a life of a non-comic book reader more complete. When you read your reviews, I can visualize actual story scenarios in my mind. Due to my blindness, comics for the most part has to remain a medium that I avoid. It's like a cool hobby that I cannot fully embrace. It's awesome how for several years you have become an integral part of the Batman Universe comic podcast, but I've noticed a bit of a monotonous routine in doing these episodes week after week after week. I understand that producing these requires a great deal of work and patience. However, my best memories of the comic podcast was when you, Stella, got to joyfully play off of Josh and Don. That was ages ago, but then again, maybe the material itself was quite different back then. I first found your BTO podcast in 2011. That was when I dropped the Batman Universe for two months. Back then, I had an internship and was trying to listen through all the episodes you've done from the very beginning during my lunch hours. And like other podcasters, you had something else going for you. I was like, she sounds bubbly. At the same time, you seem very passionate to a character that you held dear to your heart. At one time during lunch, there was even a minor earthquake vibration at the office, and I sat through it, listening to reviews without noticing anything. At some point, I was interchanging listening to Batgirl to Oracle, the comic podcast, and the regular TBU podcast. The latter was my favorite. I really liked Dustin's gruff focus on Batman. It's when he started to have co-hosts on his podcast. I thought, wouldn't it be great if they had co-hosted with you? Then I thought that Dustin would be too busy producing his cast and listening to anything else. But surprisingly, when Dustin had got a hold of Josh and Don, he soon followed suit. I still believe that it had to be the material, though, because when the Batman Universe comic podcast did the Stephanie Brown Batgirl run, you were bringing the same bubbly vibe to the comic podcast show as you did on Batgirl to Oracle. Over time, unfortunately, I had to put a pause on some podcasts such as BTO in order to listen to other casts that dealt with superhero movies like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and others. They were easier to get into because they didn't necessarily deal with comic books per se. Ironically, out of my friends, I am the most versed when it comes to explaining to them different comic comic book elements and details when trying to enjoy a superhero movie. Most of the time, however, I'm left alone when I get to smirk at different Easter eggs. 
Obviously, I don't have the same amount of baggage as people who go to such movies with having read tons of pertinent literature. That's why it's sometimes easier for me to appreciate certain interpretations on screen than the hardcore fans. But for that, I thank people such as yourself because reading comic book reviews allows that gap to shorten. Plus, I really appreciate the fact that in in today's society, it's cool to be a geek. But having professional teachers seriously review comic books brings something extra to it. Recently, trying to avoid current movie reviews filled with spoilers, I went back to Batgirl to Oracle. And boy, am I still way behind. I just finished episode 66. I'm trying to binge listen to as many episodes as I possibly can. I've forgotten how much freedom you have when you're running your own show. You have also started that Reading with Stella segment that dealt with Barbara Wilson version of Batgirl. For some reason, I cannot find episode 64, where you probably discussed chapter 1 of that segment. I think 64 was the mysteriously missing episode that was going to be the San Diego Comic-Con episode. This is Stella speaking, by the way. But it didn't happen because of like audio issues and not getting the files. I think that's the mysterious missing one. So I don't think you're missing anything there. That last name reminded me of the Batman and Robin version of Batgirl, and that's certainly what it's uh, supposed to be because it is an interpretation of that. To me, that movie, along with the rest of Batman Schumacher films, still hold their initial warmth. When I had immigrated to the U.S., Batman and Robin was the last Batman movie I saw cited. I had my sight back in the 90s, and Batman Returns was the very first live-action superhero movie I ever saw. Back in Ukraine, the country of my origin, they were only showing Batman Returns on TV. That's when I became aware of Batman Forever, having bought a sticker album devoted to this movie. I began my little Batman action figure collection. I was not yet aware of the 1989 Batman movie's existence. Although the NES Batman game is one I remember playing on even today, I even have the video game's theme as a ringtone on my iPhone. But just because I'm able to tolerate Clooney and the others better than anyone else who hates the BNR film, he is nowhere near my definition of Batman. Back in Ukraine, they were showing BTAS, and even now the most definitive Batman, animated or not, for me is, of course, Kevin Conroy. The second favorite is Michael Keaton, and the third, Christian Bale. When I had already lost my vision, my father would read a book in Russian, Batman 1 through 2, which told the Batman and Batman return stories as movie novelizations. When I got introduced to comic book podcasts, this had actually confused me. Why would people who are into comics embrace Oracle when my animated Barbara Gordon is Batgirl, who would become the next Commissioner Gordon in Batman Beyond? It was not until I listened to loads of podcasts such as BTO, I became opened and used to a constant change in Robins, Batgirls, and what have you. In fact, you made me appreciate Oracle as an even better character than Batgirl. Furthermore, as I'm trying to catch up with Batgirl the Oracle, I'm reliving your hardships with the Gail Simone's crappy take on Batgirl. I understand that as a person who doesn't actually read any comics, I don't have the right to criticize a comic book writer. But since over time, I already have acquired my personal ideas how certain authors write their stories and characters. I even shared your enthusiasm when for some two issues you took a breather when the whole scandal happened with Simone getting semi-fired on Twitter by DC. Unlike you, Stella, who tried to defend Simone as a good comic book writer, I never felt anything worthwhile from her other work. Granted, I only listened to her Birds of Prey and only enjoyed your reactions to it, not the book itself. Nowadays, I love to have read the Dennis O'Neill's novelizations of Batman Begins and The Dark Knight in Braille as ebooks. I get to appreciate the movies even more that way. iTunes has added audio description for some of the titles, so I get to enjoy the films I have watched religiously. In your BTO podcast, you often give literary recommendations, which is very cool. I myself tend to interchange between my superhero reading and some old classics. Have you come across the Dennis O'Neill movie adaptations? They're great, although I have a 
big disagreement with how O'Neill decided to conclude Batman Begins. Forgive the spoilers, but on the last pages of Batman Begins, Bruce Wayne buries his ninja outfit as the third memorable grave next to the graves of his parents. Back in the Himalayas, the ninja outfit had been stained with Dukar's blood. Bruce explains to Alfred that Ra's al Ghul is as much of a father figure to him as his own father, Thomas Wayne. Cringe. I have also bought the Dark Knight Rises novelization by Greg Cox, but hadn't read it yet. Currently, I'm trying to ingest the Essential Batman Encyclopedia by Robert Greenberger. I'm just up to the letter C. I had converted the PDF into iBooks Braille version, and I'm proud that thanks to BTO, I'm familiar to characters such as Cassandra Kane and the Calculator. However, certain relationships such as Maggie Sawyer and Batwoman, I just don't feel. I love listening to the graphic audio dramatization of 52 and prefer the question Renee Montoya to be the one for Batwoman. Then again, I just like Renee Montoya as a character since Batman the Animated Series. Lastly, I can totally understand how certain shows such as Gotham tend to become a turnoff for big-time comic book fans such as you. Personally, I enjoy this TV series because it's an easier it's easier for casual geeks like me. But what do I know since I apparently like the 2003 Daredevil film more than Ben Affleck does? Hey, I like that too. It was actually very humorous that after Daredevil was released, actors like Mark, Michael Clark Duncan and Colin Farrell were happily discussing their possible return for the sequel. Back then, Affleck had stated that if we will see him in superhero tights again, then and his acting career has really gone down the drain. Much later, when he was announced to be our next Batman, I was the first to be the Batfleck hater on Twitter. I believe that by casting as my second favorite superhero, Affleck was a hypocrite. However, now after having seen both BVS and Suicide Squad, I had since regained my respect to Ben and actually apologized to him on Twitter. It seems that I was one of the few fans who were quite ecstatic when finally a director was found who showcased the importance of Martha Wayne in Batman movies. All these years, creators were only spotlighting the great Dr. Thomas Wayne. In Batman, the animated series, Bruce's mother was never even mentioned or shown. Even in the Nolan trilogy, Martha Wayne has been treated as non-so-important socialite. However, I have read a novel written by Andrew Vox called Batman the Ultimate Evil. Spoiler alert, it brings forth the importance of Martha Wayne's character as her death is somehow connected to her job as a social worker. I strongly recommend it, although the read is not meant for children since it discusses the true horrors of child prostitution. It's not a book I would want to go back to as often. When you keep saying that stories such as The Killing Joke are those that you just do not want to revisit, I can fully understand why. I'm sorry I made you read all of this email. I was very excited to share my background with you in terms of geek stuff. When it comes to socializing about comics, for the most part, I feel to be more of an outcast because all of my visually impaired friends are mostly into computer technology and accessible audio games. I want to reach out to people like you, but believe that wouldn't contribute with anything useful like other comic book fans. Anyway, let me interrupt my passage along rambling. I wish you all the best. Continue to spread the Babs love. It would be awesome to be your trusted pen pal, and perhaps we'll talk again, Dima, uh, at Daredevil uh, Supremacy, which is uh, S-P-R-M-C-Y. And P.S. he says, Dick and Babs. Well, please don't apologize, Dima. I appreciate any and all email and feedback, and uh, I thank you for just devoting that amount of time to writing in. I've actually not read any of those O'Neill adaptations, uh, perhaps something to look into. I think those might be sort of on the lower end of my priority list. I would like to read the No Man's Land adaptation first because I hear such wonderful things about that by Greg Rucka. 
but your story was super interesting, not only what you did with your site, but then also after. And I'm really happy that there are such ways and adaptations and things are available with Braille. And then you have, of course, the the visually impaired help with you on, on movies and things. And I just think that's amazing. And I can totally get, you know, obviously comics being such a visual medium, I think that's hard, right, to follow that. But I so appreciate you still wanting to keep up with things. And I'm in awe of, of you pushing on and everything. Really, I, 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 I totally respect that. I kind of want to learn, actually, how to read Braille. I was, I just read, oh, I, this is actually one of my recommendations, but I read a book called All the Light We Cannot See, and one of the characters was blind, and she, and it was back in World War II, but her father would get her copies of classics and she would read them like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and I think The Count of Monte Cristo and Moby Dick um, and I just got really intrigued about what would it be like to, to learn Braille um, and I feel like, you know, from my perspective anyways, um, because I'd be, I'd be struggling, you'd really I think have a even finer um, appreciation for what you were reading because you were slowing down and doing anything. But anyways, I just think that's really cool uh, that you have continued with your love even, you know, despite or in spite of having lost your sight. I think that's amazing. And I hope that podcasts, I think that's what's an amazing thing about podcasts is that we can help you, you know, we can help anyone potentially, I guess, besides people who are deaf because they would not be able to to listen to it. But, you know, we can help you by, in our recaps, trying to be as explicit as possible as what's going on and, and giving you an idea of how the universe, the comics universe is going on. Yeah, and so I appreciate any level of geekism. I mean, I'm not a, a huge one, right? I mean, Babs is sort of my area of expertise, but there are other places that I certainly don't have as much, like Batman. So uh, I welcome any and all levels of expertise. And uh, yeah, I uh, agree with your sentiments about uh, many things. I'm glad you liked Batman and Robin, uh, and I'm appreciative that you have followed you know, the Batman universe and, and this show. Yeah, it's funny because when I first started Batgirl to Oracle, Josh actually Facebooked me, and I wasn't really close with Josh at this point in time. I don't know if we were friends yet, because that's an interesting story. But he had actually said that, you know, Dustin was potentially looking for a new person. And, uh, you know, it'd be a good way to showcase your own show. And I considered it, but it was just too much. So I said no. So I wonder if that's around the time. It certainly could have been. You said 2011. Uh, And then going to Comic-Con. No, I guess it was earlier than that. I suppose it was... 2010. I don't know. But then going to Comic-Con, you know, meeting Dustin and and him giving me some duties, even though I wasn't there for for the Batman universe, was sort of the the catalyst for for all of this. And now here I am. But I appreciate you thinking I'm bubbly because that is, I like to think of myself as bubbly as well, at at least in comparison to Batman, aka Dustin. I'm sort of the the Stephanie Brown to to his Batman. Uh, But I hope we continue to entertain you and, you know, certainly feel free to skip around with the the different podcasts and you know you're on 66 you're probably I you know this is a little later than you wrote so maybe you're a little further along but you can always hop around on back road to oracle for sure uh we're in birds of prey now so you can definitely hop on over but thanks again dima 
Next up is from Jeanette Chung. She says, Hello, Stella. I'm writing to you from my parents' home in Hannah, North Dakota, where I am enjoying a week's vacation before the start of autumn. I'm so thankful for your podcast as I listen to it while driving the farm tractor among the hay bales, and it keeps me going through the hot sun. I just want to let you know that I'm a diehard member of Team Don. He is a lovely man and has been around since the beginning. Shag doesn't even have a chance. Please let me know when you start making Team Don t-shirts and let me know how I can pre-order them. Also, I heard Donovan desires Asian piglet feet. I'm not a pig, but I am Asian and I do have feet. One last thing. At the beginning of each podcast, you mentioned that TBU could always use donations to keep it going. Has Dustin thought about starting a Patreon a Patreon page? Several other podcasting networks I follow use this website, and it has been very successful in raising funds. Just putting that out there. Fly on. Sincerely, Jeanette. Well, Jeanette, uh, Don is going to be excited to have another person in his ball court. And I feel like Shag still has a chance, but I don't know. Uh, And as for t-shirts, I have been considering making Team Don and Team Shag t-shirts, but I will keep everyone posted. Plus, I don't really know how many people would buy them except for me. Uh, and maybe Don and Shaq. The Patreon or Patreon or whatever it is. Yes, Dustin is making a page or has made a page. And I guess for people who listen to TBU, you can, you already know uh, about what he says. But we're going to make some incentives um, for listeners with uh, maybe unedited podcasts being posted and and people who are subscribing get that rather than the edited version or also some videos either of Dustin doing his thing or maybe Ed and I joining in who knows but the unedited podcast really uh, is where it's at Uh, I think that's worth the subscription because crazy stuff ensues things that do not make the cutting room floor um, is uh, yeah so I uh, there is a patreon page i'm not sure what the website is or if it's set up yet but all intentions of uh dustin to make them so keep looking out for that and then we have some comments from the website first up from episode 123 from Michael Ridge. He says, Salway Stella. I was also surprised that Barbara chose to leave Burnside for foreign travel. She seemed very invested in being accepted into her graduate program, and she can't have finished the program because she was just gathering data a few issues ago. I'd like to think she would finish what she started. OMG, Michael, I completely forgot about that hole that was left. I was so wrapped up in all the other problems that I forgot she is sort of skipping out on school. Birds of Prey seems like it's going to be interesting, but I haven't really got an opinion yet. The setup might make Velvet Tiger the mastermind behind Bad Oracle, which would be okay with me. Ugh. Ugh. I've always liked the birds and was watching the short-lived TV series last winter. The weather is getting colder, and I'm kind of looking forward to being stuck inside so that I can finish those episodes. I'm assuming that your disappointment with SCCC might have to do with the new R-rated movie. I'm sorry that the story is still considered central to Batgirl when so many other things have been erased in others' history. Keep flying high, Stella. I enjoyed Andy Leyland's voice on your podcast. Maybe you could arrange for Tom Panarese to join you for an all-educator episode. Yeah, I guess that would be me and and uh, Professor Allen. And um, if you're referring to Andy Leyland, uh, I feel very sad and regretful because is he a teacher? I didn't know about this. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be very interesting. Um, the SDCC, the disappointments, my personal disappointments. And, yeah, part of it was um, the 
the killing joke. The other stuff is more of a professional hiccup, things that were happening. Like I said, Friday was a pretty difficult day. But thank you. Thank you for, for thoughts and everything uh, coming uh, coming towards me. And uh, Velvet Tiger, she needs to go away. But, you know, if she comes back, at least it's someone we know. And kind of she has technological knowledge. So maybe we'll see. And then comments for episode 124, first up from Ian Miller. Great discussion with the man, Donovan Morgan Grant himself. While I'm pretty solidly with you and enjoying Batgirl and the Birds of Prey quite a bit and being less enthralled with Batgirl, I had a couple of thoughts. Number one, I think one's reaction to a title during a creative shift depends largely on your feelings for the previous run. You love the Stuart Fletcher tar run, and even though your fair-mindedness gives the new run a careful reading and a hope for enjoyment, the specific ways it falls short lead to comparisons of the previous run run. In contrast, I really, really disliked the Burnside run, so the new direction, even though, as you say, it's not much of a break as a slight shift, was welcome. In my reading, I enjoyed the more adult, no partying, being aware of responsibilities and persona, performance of Babs, even as I acknowledge all the flaws you point out. However, I think Larson is deliberately playing the Kai story as not romantic. I don't think this is similar to how every guy in Burnside was instantly in love with Babs. I think it's not a coincidence that Kai showed up in Babs's room and that a secret will turn out to be linked to the larger plot. The killer schoolgirl attack wasn't random, in my prediction. Number two, Hope Larson from all the interviews I've read and my own brief meeting at Baltimore Comic Con is very, very disconnected from mainstream big two superhero comics. This is clear from her not talking to the Bensons and not reading anything except Batgirl 35 through 52. At least that's what I think she did for research. This naturally leads to a comic which is not geared towards a brilliant Babs fan like yourself or a longtime comics nerd like me. It's really an indie superhero flavored comic, more interested in slower paced characters and quieter, long form plots. I think this is deliberate on DC's part. Batgirl for them seems to have become a character more easily and effectively marketed character for a completely different audience. The DC superhero girl's audience and as a result they've chosen a writer and direction for her that is quote new reader friendly. Now your very thoughtful approach as a casual comic Stella does present some evidence that it's not completely successful but I think that's the goal. It will be very interesting to see what the sales and fan response will be. Reviews seem reasonably positive and the demographic shift means most of the fan response on forums I've seen hasn't really paid attention to it. Longtime comic nerds know that DC isn't writing the book for them so they don't talk about it much. What I'm really curious about is whether Warson herself will be interested in saying longer than six months. I could easily see her saying, I've done my time in the big two, back to Indy. Just as easily, I could see her sticking it out for a year or two in her own little mini-universe, sort of like Batwoman at the beginning of the New 52. Whatever happens, I think I've pretty much resigned myself to the fact that when it comes to Batgirl, DC doesn't produce her comics for, quote, normal comics fans. Lastly, I too read The Girl on the Train after enjoying Gone Girl and finding out Emily Blunt was going to be in the film, a very fun and pulpy thriller. Well, Ian, you and I are pretty much alike on that because Emily Blunt was the reason why I was going to give it a shot because I like her as an actress a lot. Uh, you know, and well, we know because of the uh, news that popped out that she's at least going to be on for another arc, however long that may be, because they've only switched the artist. So there we are with that. I think she's going to be staying for a little bit, perhaps a year. Who knows? Um <sighs> 
I like your thoughts. I, I think that they are well contemplated and thought through. And I guess it, it really is hard. And I, I think, you know, I agree with you that once something shifts, um, it's hard, especially if you liked it, right? So, the, you know, the Burnside team was a break for me from <laughs> Gil Simone. So I really liked it. I'm sure if Gil Simone came after that I would be treating it in a similar vein. I guess I disagree with the thought that she's, I don't know, the adult thing. I agree about the partying and the responsibilities. Uh, the persona, I feel like, I don't know, maybe. But I think it's just because, you know, it's not cotton candy, as uh, Hope Larson said. I, I still feel like she's making very strange and rash decisions uh, with the Kai thing. The Kai story, not as romantic. I guess I want more explanation about that. You just think it's a plot, I guess, uh, that he actually doesn't have any interest in her and she doesn't have any interest in him. But again, like, there's this strange focus on her love life. So even if it's not romantic, why is any sort of plot surrounding pairing her up with someone is, is sort of my question with that. Your number two with the Hope Larson thing was basically what I had suspected and, and from my talk as well. So we kind of just have to treat this as a completely separate comic. And now that or soon when Batgirl comes back to Burnside, which it was confirmed, we'll see how she integrates back into her life and maybe the DC Universe. Who knows? But that, I think, will be the real test. Once we get out of, you know, Asia, basically, it'll be interesting how Hope Larson is able to uh, to deal with that. I guess I, I'm glad we're on the same page and it's not just me, but it's interesting that there's not been too much talk about it. And I think perhaps it's because... Everyone was super vocal about the Burnside run, whether it was positive or negative, right from the get-go. And I think people latched onto that or, or still were very turned off. And now this one is very under the radar and people don't seem to care about it as much. I don't know if that's a good thing or a negative thing. Who knows? Next up, also on episode 124, is from the Irredeemable Shag. He says, This episode brought me so much joy. Not hearing Donovan. Never that. But hearing such unbridled love for the Tim Drake Robin series. That Chuck Dixon run on Robin is some of the best comics to come out of the 90s. It was certainly my favorite of all the Bat books. I eventually dropped Batman and Detective, but stuck with Robin, Birds of Prey, and Nightwing, all by Dixon. Also, fascinating conversation about Tim's sexual activity and coming of age. Like Donovan, can't believe I typed that. I felt Dixon handled it in a very mature way, yet also realizing how mixed up teenagers can get. And Chris, still enjoying your coverage of the Batman 66 Avengers crossover. Sorry if we made you go back and reevaluate your original review, but glad you stuck to your guns. While I know very little about the Avengers TV series, it's an interesting matchup, but sounds like it's missing the mark. I'll have to go back and listen to your coverage of the Batman 66 Man from Uncle series. I loved me some Man from Uncle. I hope that series fared better. Love the episode. Keep up the great work, everyone, except Donovan. The irredeemable shag. And then he also replied, just picked up Batman 66 meets the man from Uncle, inspired by Chris's Batman 66 reviews and my love of Jeff Parker. You know, in regards to the um, Avengers, I would love to see the Avengers with Diana Rigg. I don't know where one can find such things, but it would be great just to see those particular episodes. I was just recently talking about that with my mom, actually, which is uh, pretty funny. 
And I also have a couple iTunes reviews. Actually, one in particular was a new, new one. But there were two other ones from 2016 that I thought I would review as well. The first is from Big Balls. And his subject is, or her, a great concept and episode. Listen to this podcast on and off for the last few years. Stella has really grown as a host over the run of the podcast. The interview episode with John Ostrander regarding Oracle and the Suicide Squad is one of the high points to date. Give this a try if you like the Batman universe or really comics in general. And uh, also from the Irredeemable Shag, his subject is Fly on Babs Lovers. Love this podcast. I've been a fan of Barbara Gordon since the earliest Oracle stories and was a dedicated reader through the Birds of Prey series. I was casually familiar with her Batgirl days, but the Oracle era is where I fell in love with this brilliant and sexy redheaded character. This podcast celebrates all eras of Barbara Gordon and has taught me to appreciate all aspects of Babs. Stella is an engaging host with a voice that draws you in. Her reviews are insightful and and will make you rethink stories you've known for years. See the Killing Joke episodes. The different segments of the show are fun, and the music slash sound cues are brilliantly inspired. She features a number of rotating co-hosts, some of whom are particularly <laughs> dazzling. One particular irregular co-host comes to mind. I highly recommend this podcast to any comics fan. Fly on, Babs Lovers. And then my last one is by Natalie J, and the subject is uh, nah. As much as I love Babs and would love to listen to someone talk about her and her journey as Batgirl and Oracle, I made the mistake of listening to the Dick Corey versus Dick Babs issue first. I wouldn't want to listen to someone who, number one, doesn't know anything outside of Bat comics, and number two, doesn't respect other women in Dick's life because they don't know anything about them. You don't have to tear Corey down to prop up Babs. You could just argue the merits of your your preference or just not do the prompt. Yes, so of course I welcome all both positive and negative reviews. I do want to address this um, because there is, you know, there's some truth in there. The unfortunate thing for Natalie J is that she happened into a very random episode and there's sort of a continuity with my, you know, it's not just Barbara Gordon continuity, but there's sort of like Stella continuity going on and the whole Dick versus uh or dick and baz versus dick and and starfire or Corey was this battle that has been waging between tom and i as like a joke and so then we decided to settle it in person so it was more of like a a joke podcast and of course i know you know attacking the person i think is that the ad hominem fallacy Uh, of course i know you know that's not uh the, the way to go about it but again the whole thing was meant to be i mean i seriously do believe in dick and babs but the it, it was all in good fun and good play, and I think uh, Tom would, would say the same thing. Don't respect the other women in Dick's life. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true um, because there are many other, you know, girls in his life. Uh, some of them are positive and some of them are negative. I'm not the biggest Starfire fan, but, you know, I actually do like her apart from Dick Grayson. I'm completely fine with her. And then the doesn't know anything outside of Bat Comics, I kind of want more explanation on that because I feel like that's a false because I talk think about all the things I talk about on this show but if you're talking about I don't know anything about Teen Titans well I that's true I I really haven't read Teen Titans except for the Jeff Johns run um so you know I it's uh I'm sorry Natalie that I I let you down you know if you were to give another episode a shot I'd like to hear what you'd have to say but 
that happens. So I apologize that it wasn't entertaining and uh, that I attacked Corey, uh, but it was really all in, in good fun. And, and Tom would agree with you that there's sort of, you know, this running gag. And uh, yeah, well, please uh, <laughs> review if you care to. Uh, I'll take positives or negatives. Of course, positives are you know, I'd love that to bolster up my, my ratings, but I do appreciate any reviews whatsoever. Uh, and again, I'm going to be pushing that throughout the fall. Okay, well, we are going to take a break. And when we return, we're going to review Batgirl and the Birds of Prey number two and Batgirl 55, a.k.a. Batgirl number three. <laughs> but first, it's Zias's Radio Hour featuring International Smile by Katy Perry. <laughs>
Well, we're back, and Martin's going to take over the reins for the recapping. So first up is Batgirl and the Birds of Prey number two. Okay, right. The, the issue begins with Commissioner Gordon and Batgirl escorting gang boss Santo to his safe house, with motorcycling superheroines Black Canary and Huntress riding along for extra protection. Santo is a link to the cyber information broker who's using Babs's old Oracle identity and shtick, and who has thoroughly sullied them by dealing with criminals. Santo's men appear alongside them, chasing them, obviously keen to stop the good guys taking their boss away to where he might give up incriminating information. Humorably, they're also just paid. Cue a rather exciting street battle as the combined skill of the hounds and police put down the attack. The final flourish is delivered by Dinah as she unleashes a powerful, but decidedly non-lethal, canary cry. Further along the line, at Gotham City Police Department's safe house, which seems to be a farm outside Gotham, Santo is interrogated. Surely he will not be able to resist giving a bad oracle in the face of three ass-kicking femmes and Commissioner Gordon? Yes, he can. Being more afraid of mob boss Felice... I can't say it. Being more afraid of mob boss Fenice? Fenice? Who knows? Commissioner Gordon then asks Batgirl for a private word. She fears that her father's going to call her on her secret identity, but no, he simply wants to suggest they call in Batman. Batgirl is, as we say in Scotland, black-affronted at the very suggestion, and Jim Gordon feels rightly awkward. So far as we can see, he doesn't know Babs is Batgirl. Not at all coincidentally, when the ladies are back at the watchtower, Batman turns up and warns them that Fenice may have hired a team of superhumans to stop the heroines. Stella, would you like to have a go at pronouncing that for me? <laughs> oh. Fenice? Is it Fenice or is it Fenice? I don't know. Is Fenice? it Italian or is it not? I just don't know. I kept assuming, I kept forgetting it was a woman. <laughs> well, that's because everyone uses the he pronoun because I think yeah. they assume that the mob boss is a man. So yeah, I think that's in interesting. No pronoun at all. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'll try again. Not all coincidentally, when the ladies are back at the watchtower, Bat warns them, Fenice made a team of superhumans to stop the heroines. Batman offers his assistance, but will only give it if Barbara wants it, which she doesn't. While Babs and Bats chat, Huntress and Canary spar on the roof, fighting backwards and forwards with the advantage going one way then the other, and they gain a bit of respect for one another, at least for their fighting styles. But Dinah fails to get to the bottom of Huntress's connection to the Bertinelli crime family. Knowing that he's trying to trace them, the fake oracle, or that maybe she's trying to trace them, the fake oracle taunts Babs online, but either can't stop her tracing him or her to a server form, or perhaps Oracle, bad oracle, is setting a trap. Everyone gets on motorbikes and finds the farm, with Babs and Dinah going in down a hill while Huntress watches their backs. Babs doesn't trust Huntress yet, and Harvick be pranged by the killer crossbow of the Huntress. But it doesn't happen. As Babs makes an information grab from a handy computer box thingy, to use a technical term, Dinah discovers a bomb, which is likely to go off before Babs finishes her hacking. Uh-oh, tick, tick, tick. <laughs> but here's Huntress, shoving them out of the way as the explosion comes. Finally, the purple vigilante gains their trust. Bad Oracle, meanwhile, watches the woman arrive. The woman? The women arrive back at the GCPD safe house, cackling. Well, it's bound to be a cackle. You can run, but you can't hide. Meanwhile, Lady Gangster Fenice, or Fenice, or Denise, who knows, is on the phone to persons unseen, asking if they're in position. They most certainly are, and we see them over the page on the last in the snake-controlling asp from last issue, and other superhuman bad guys ready to take on and possibly take down the birds of prey to be continued. Woo! I didn't 
credits there because they're on my and I hadn't taken a note, Stella. I do apologize. No, it was it was well done. It was a great recap. Thank you. <laughs> I can pretty much almost remember the credits, but uh, can you remember them offhand? Were yeah, well, I'm actually I'm on the page. So uh, yeah, writers. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this was who is Oracle? Learn to fly, and the writers were Julie Benson and Chana Benson. The artists Claire Rowe and Raj Antonio. Colorists Alan Pasalacqua and Hi-Fi. There you go. Thank you for that. Good to see you. Thank Absolutely. you. Yeah. And then next up is a canary learns to cry. So we'll see what that means. I do. I do like the the end. The end. The end of the little preview. The next issue, both in here and Batgirl, that come with nice little teasing, punning titles. Absolutely. So, what have you been thinking of this story and this Birds of Prey run overall? I'm enjoying it so far. Again, I would prefer that at least at this stage that Huntress wasn't in the book because, mm. well, air, air. I'm not. A, I'm. I was a big fan of Grayson, and I enjoyed the matron Helena Bertinelli in that book. Mm-hmm. But with her being rebirthed into Huntress, I'm not so keen on her. I don't like the costume. It's a, it's a clunk. It's a clunky take on the classic, and mm-hmm. there's no way a, her, a a spy mistress that smart would wear a hood running around in Gotham City because no peripheral vision. You'd be dead very very quickly. Yeah, and I'm so. I'm so wedded to the traditional look of Huntress that it's not—it's not like she's actually been sort of, you know, been been changed in terms of her racial background. Mm-hmm. So, given that she's still in a, still Italian American, as far as we can guess, I just want her to be looking like traditional Helena, especially since you know, in the New Fifty Two, we had the Earth Two Helena, who was in World's Finest with Power Girl, and she had the lovely—I'm so, I'm so gay—she had the lovely slinky black hair. And now she just doesn't look like Helena to me. Yeah. I, so, yeah. Yeah, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, I do believe that she is actually um, black, uh, at least partially. Well, when I did my first review on my blog of her the first appearance of this version of Helena Bertinelli, I made references to her being black. And I think a few people pulled me up on it and said, "No, she's not black. She's Italian." So mm. who knows? I, I, think, yeah. I think I think I think you're probably right because if you're right, that means I'm right as well. And she's <laughs> probably maybe maybe sort of you know part, partially African, African American, African American Italian. Who knows? But mm-hmm. but yeah, maybe that's excusing the different hair. But like I say, I'm just a, a big old British puffer, and I miss her lovely hair. I was at a Birds of Prey panel at San Diego Comic-Con and someone had asked a question about, you've got all these women, but when are you going to diversify racially? And then they said like, oh, Huntress is black. So even the writers had said. So I think that's confirmation for for both of us. But I think she's just a black Italian instead of a white Italian, basically. So. All right. Well, yeah. That's fair (laughs) enough. Because like I said, at least that's what I thought in the first place that that she was. Yeah. That she was black. But I'm. Which after the first appearance, it would be colouring a lighter and lighter. Yeah, it's confusing. Yeah, so now we're just to the point of like it looks like she's got a really nice tan. Yeah, yeah, because you know, absolutely brilliant. You know, if she's if she's black, no problem at all. But it's like if she's black, let her be black. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be proud of that choice that you made and and colour her distinctly. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there. How much do you think it affects Batman's character and his character history that Batman currently does not know who Huntress is? I mean, he first calls her whoever you are, purple person. Mm. Do you think it matters? I don't think so because I think as, as time goes on, he will know. And it's it's so long now since 
since the reg the regular canonical huntress was interacting with a Batman who was her father, where well, obviously originally the Batman who was her father was dead, and then she'd occasionally meet the Earth One the Earth One Batman. No, but I mean we had far longer with the huntress not not being Bruce Wayne's daughter, mm-hmm. and okay he knew okay he knew who she was, but I think at first he didn't, and I think probably pretty soon he will know who she is again. But I mean that I, I, I laughed at, at Purple Person, but. That's not something Batman would say. I don't think. I know. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's 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 a Robin line. Yeah, I almost wonder if he would at least know who she is, like by name, but wouldn't necessarily know her modus operandi or, or what she does. But it just seems like he should be aware of the people that are around in in his city, uh, because later on he does tell Batgirl that you know is Hunter's or ass is is she completely trustworthy so it's he may have gotten some sort of vibe yeah i think so i think i think between sorry to jump in that's okay there. i think you know between issues one and two because i think it's issue one where uh, helena makes a very indiscreet comment about you know sort of for what they did to the bertinelli crime family or something mm-hmm. and at that point bab was you know soon after that bab should have been doing some you know little right the trickery and yeah and just found out bertinelli family any survivors any links any any possibly you know daughter and she's She's had an issue. She should really. It's not been so breakneck. Mm-hmm. She hasn't had a chance to work out who, who Helena is at this point. And maybe we'll find out that she does, but she doesn't seem to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Bab should be smarter than that. Is smarter than that. Mm-hmm. You know she is. Yeah, I agree with you. If the only thing I will say to potentially defend it is that she's so wrapped up in her own stuff that I'm wondering how much she's like thinking about on the outside of the Oracle. Who is Oracle business? It, it could. It could be. I mean. I mean, there's one. You talk. We're talking about sort of you know things that seemed wrong with the last, the last, the last book, the Manhunt book. But this, this storyline is. I mean, I went back and reread issue one as well just to check it hadn't been covered. But my big question, my big takeaway from this is where the hell is Frankie? She, Frankie, yeah, yeah. Frankie, you know, she is the Oracle. She's tantamount to being Oracle now. She's Babs as one of Babs's best friends, mm-hmm. and Babs could be working the case while Oracle's working out how bad Oracle is. It's just. Mm-hmm ridiculous that they haven't covered themselves for this yeah and i mean it's only mentioned briefly i guess it was in the rebirth that dinah asked about frankie and bab says no she wouldn't do it and besides i checked her out anyways but i agree with you that i mean she should be somewhere in here especially since it seemed like the burnside uh, writers were almost creating a birds of prey team with the end of their run because you had harper row was there helping out and spoiler and uh, Frankie, but sadly, I think just all of that was washed away. I, I, it could be a man, um, an editorial thing here. It could be, but they, they should sell. I think they should just somehow cover themselves, just explain it away. You know, Frank, Frankie's, I don't know, off planet with the GLA. Who knows? Another dimension. I don't know. I mean, because they spent so long and did such a wonderful job of building Frankie up that she should be such a big part of Babs's. Yeah. And that she should be in here somewhere. Mm hmm. Or yeah. out of here for a good reason. I agree with you about it. It may not affect Helen or Batman's character that Helena or Huntress is not necessarily in his life in Rebirth, or he doesn't know who she is. It's weird for me though, because I, I really want to think about it because you know in the '90s she's kept she kept popping up and or keeps popping up, I guess I should say, since I'm currently covering it, and I keep asking my self you know about their relationship but really if you think about it 
you know, the members of the Batman team that he currently has and the ones that he acknowledges are the ones that are the most important. So I think she is very much on the periphery and doesn't need to be there. But I think as, like you said, as time goes on, um, he will become aware of her activities. I think, I think it has to be the case, Dylan, because obviously we've seen it once before and sort of in everyone's mind, she is so associated with Batman, you know, mm-hmm. she's, you know, iconically, she's just, you know, she's, you know, she wasn't always, but she was the Batman's daughter. And even in the last five years, we've had a Huntress who was the Batman's daughter. Right. And she needs to be sort of by her side a little bit, a bit more regularly again. I think, yeah, again, as time goes on, she will be. Yeah. What do you think about the discussion that Batgirl and Gordon have at that little safe house there? Oh, I've just, it was, ah, <laughs> eh, Batgirl's been around long enough now in Gordon's ambit that he should trust and B, I'm mm-hmm. so sick of it. I mean, how many times over the years, Stella, have we seen him dance around this? Does he know? Oh my know? goodness! Yeah, it's ridiculous. He he's a top detective. He's standing beside his daughter, mm-hmm. who's wearing an outfit, and yes, he's wearing a mask. But I can buy not recognizing Clark Kent. I can never buy a, a close relative of a, a hero or heroine not just knowing who they're talking to. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just wish they'd avoid to see. I don't know why they put them in there. If you're going to write that scene, have it lead up to the reveal and get it over with, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the storyline where you know you have the conflict, you know, his door on the front lines, he's, you know, he's worried, and you know, blah blah blah. But do something with it or just ignore it. Mm-hmm. What, what did you think? Yeah, I'm in complete agreement on both points. I liked that, you know, they had this one-on-one discussion, but I didn't like the discussion itself, especially because in Batgirl, he, as Batman, was teamed up with her to take down, not Killer Frost, the electric one from Superman. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Her name's Leslie. Um, oh, no. It'll come to her. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Livewire. Yeah. Livewire. Yes. Okay. Uh, so clearly he knows that she's capable and that's a superpower person and we have mob. So I felt like, you know, it's level, if not less for the mob. And then I totally, that was one of my points. Does he really not know? And not only that discussion, but she's sitting right next to him in the police car and in closed space, you can hear their voice clearly. You grew up, you know, for 21 years, you heard her speak. So how have you not, how do you not know? <laughs> how do you Unless know? she's talking like this. Oh, I hope not. Or has like a voice modulator, but that's never yeah. been spoken no, of. She's not or doing a love and call that would be good but no i mean like I, i've never met you i've seen a few pictures of you i would recognize you in a mask i would i'm not you know <laughs> we should experiment uh, yeah let's put put a pictures on our facebook of our bottoms and see how we oh them. no that'll cause a ruckus <laughs> greg ruckus yes oh my goodness uh but yeah i i'm totally yeah. with you there Another thing that connects this is funny how this issue really connects back to that story we just did with Manhunt. Mm-hmm. Is you that planned it? You planned it because maybe, you're super smart. Yeah, maybe, but Batman appears, and this time he's contacted by Jim. It's another like my mother doesn't do what I want, so I'm going to call Dad in. What do you think about this? Jim going off and tattling, and Batman appearing. I think it's terrible. It's you know, <laughs> it's like oh yes, okay, okay, Batgirl. Oh, anyway, it's oh no, 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 no. Again, it. It's it's you know it's showing the Batman Batman 
trust trusts her more mm-hmm. than Gordon does. But we we don't need it. We, this is yeah. a very established superhero, and even you know, even in the New Fifty Two, even in Rebirth, she's been you know okay. There's a heck of a lot of history that comes and goes. We don't know if she's Oracle one week or not the week. We don't know if her back's been broken or what. But uh, no, she's she's been a crime fighter in Gotham City for a good long while. And Gordon should not be contacting Batman. The only reason to put Batman in the book is if you Batman's in the book, which they didn't do. They didn't need to. We have we have three heroines sharing the book, and I'd rather I'd just rather be spending time with Batman has elsewhere. Yeah, I agree. I I wonder if it's just a way to keep him connected to show that this is a book that is still in the Bat family. So maybe that's why they wanted to to bring him in. It has a similar feel to the discussion between Oracle and Batman and Manhunt, just that he gives her the choice and she says no, and then he backs off, which I think was respectful of him. But yeah, I mean, why does dad always have to appear? Absolutely. It's it's too much. I mean, much, much as I love, I love Barbara, it's like I already don't like the fact the book's called Batgirl and the Girl Birds of Prey because that's immediately sidelining anyone yeah. else who's in the book. Yep, it's true. Why isn't it just, yeah, Birds of Prey? Especially since there's not really any standout leader right now. Absolutely not, not at all. I would, I would love the, the, the lead, the leader should be rotating depending on the mission, you know, just someone, you know, no formal, you know, this time is whoever, whoever's most suited rises mm-hmm. to the top at that point. Yeah. Well, if you look at the Oracle, you know, the question still is who is Oracle? And well, this per, you know, the only clues I could of course get was that this person uses drones and so apparently they have some money, but they have been contracting a lot of work and has a flattish looking head. So I'm thinking it may be a man. Uh, it could be. It's just as long as it doesn't turn out to be calculator. Oh, no. Been there. You think so? What if it were Wendy? Oh, interesting. I mean, what's her nickname again when she went? Uh, proc- uh, proxy. Proxy. Yeah. Proxy. That would be fun. I mean, I, I don't even know if Wendy's Wendy survived into into the new Fifty Two continuity. Never mind the rebirth. Mm-hmm. But uh, e- even Wendy could be fun. And she, she's had an accident. Her head's got flattened. Fine. <laughs> it yeah. could. It could. I, I would quite happily be if it's someone new. Maybe it's Velvet. Yeah. Velvet Tiger. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Why did I invite you on this show? Because I realised that Velvet Tiger's <laughs> an interesting. Velvet Tiger's a bit of a computer whiz as well. I think, isn't she? Oh my goodness. This, you know, I hope to one day interview Barbara Kiesel, and I will be talking to her about Velvet Tiger. Because, I mean, she, she was the character find of 1978 or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was near the end of, of uh, Barbara's tenure as, as Batgirl. It was, yeah. Was it when it was drawn by Trevor Von Eden, perhaps? I forget. But yeah, I've forgotten it. Well. It was fun stuff anyway. Yeah. Okay, so what do you think? Any final thoughts? And, and what do you think overall about this story? Well, final thoughts. I, I I didn't like seeing in the car chase. I didn't like seeing Barbara Barbara with a big rifle. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just non-lethal, but it just yeah. it just feels wrong to see Batman characters with a girl, with, with, or a gun, with yeah, dirty guns, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I did enjoy Claire Rose art once again. I thought there was some lovely expressions. I I, I love Batgirl, sorry, Barbara, with a tongue out in concentration when she's trying to track down who Oracle is. Mm-hmm. You know, at the server farm, that was that was good fun. But uh, overall, it was developing the story nicely. And again, I, I found it an extra level of fascination having just read Manhunt and seeing the parallels. Mm-hmm. It was like it was like in the olden days when you'd have the Earth Two version of an Earth One story. <laughs> I just wish there was more of 
Dinah and since she's there, more of Dinah and Helena in there. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's only the second issue, well, second or third, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm I'm glad the birds have a book back and the cast is intriguing and so far the dynamics are very entertaining yeah oh yeah good point about the shotgun there and that wielding that is seems like it's a little out of character i feel like you know if i were to compare it to manhunt i feel like the the dynamic of the team seems a little different i feel like they're still it seems like they've just met even though donna and babs have a history uh, it seems like they're just three individuals right now rather than a yeah. team. And perhaps it should be this way because it's, you know, the, just the start of the actual team. So perhaps or hopefully they will grow and, and work together and then be more of a solid team near the end, doing trust falls and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I think you're right. I just I, I could do without actually without a whole story about a, a dark oracle at the beginning anyway because we had yeah. something similar in Batgirl so recently. Right. Yeah. And it's always it's always so muddy. It always had been so muddy as to whether Barbara had been oracle. And, mm-hmm. But anyway, for what they're doing with it, it's a rebirth. I'll accept it. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying it. We'll see where they go from after the setup issues. Yeah, I, I hope they get back to sort of the classic feel where they would do missions in other countries, which I think is also. A cool idea rather than just sticking around in Gotham but um yeah I guess we'll see uh but yeah, you, yeah. No, no go on go on go on Sorry. oh no that's okay I was just gonna say that I felt like it was well-rounded with the action um which you didn't enjoy the uh the car chase as much but at least there was some action and then the rooftop fight which may have been unnecessary I mean all of a sudden Huntress is picking a fight with Dinah I guess to just so it's like boys, I guess, sizing each other up. There are some moments where they're building their relationship, but again, I feel like we're just watching individuals rather than a team. And it's great to see some detectiving uh, and and some of Babs's uh, tech skills. So there are some nice elements to this, I think. Absolutely, I'd, I'd certainly say. Well, are we are we rating this one? Yes, out of ten birds again. Ten birds, I would say a solid seven. A solid seven. I'm going to raise you a little bit and give it an eight. Woo. Yes, I know. I guess I'm still generous. No, really, no. <laughs> like a different aspect. It's all fair. Yeah. Okay, and now for our final book, and it is Batgirl number three, or uh, Batgirl fifty-five, as I call it. <laughs> That's fair enough. It's okay, and we are in fact abroad there. And once again, I am letting you down with the credits, but I I can remember that it's drawn by Raphael Albuquerque and it's written by Hope Larson. There you go, yeah. And everyone else, I've forgotten for the moment, but I can just do the recap and we'll see how we get on. So we were talking a minute ago about wanting to see the birds in Adventures Abroad, and here we have Batgirl is in Singapore, and she's trying to unravel an, an enigmatic message given to her by dying superheroine Fruit Bat. Fruit Bat. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fruit Bat, yes, yeah, sorry. Barbara recalls the words that the 100-year-old heroine died, perhaps even more than 100, the, the words that she spoke before she died. You can't see the future when the past is standing in your way. So Barbara has decided to go about to be an artist named Amy Bear. Unfortunately, as we join this issue from the end of last issue, she's just been knocked out for a minute by one Wen Lu, who, she now learns, is deaf. Bab speculates to herself that being deaf gives Wen Lu special focus an advantage for a one-on-one fighter. And perhaps the centenarian former superheroine Fruit Bat shared this disability slash ability. When Lou, for her part, had run off straight after taking Babs out. Two young girl martial arts fans appear as beaten up Babs is treated by Mae Ho, who owns the gym where she's been training, 
and our freckled fighter encourages them to take up MMA too, then slinks off to rejoin her mission. Babs replays the fight with her bad memory and remembers that when Lou has the same tattoo as the troublesome schoolgirl she and romantic interest Kai encountered Ugh. an issue or two back. The tattoo means student in Mandarin. Babs intuits that Kai, her friend, is in danger and rushes to find him. He's locked behind a bathroom door as a masked Wen loose around his hotel room. Knowing her tricks this time, Barbara, garbed as Batgirl, is ready for her. As Wen Lu falls from the building, the victim of Batgirl's punch, Barbara ponders again on the words of the now-dead fruit bat, words intended to make her a better hero. Batgirl finds a tiny spy cam. It's transmitting and the signal leads her right to Kai. She confronts Kai after freeing him from the bathroom, pulling the chair out of the way of the knob. Talking of knob, that's Kai. She doesn't believe him when she asks what he's telling her. And he denies, well, sorry, she doesn't believe, she doesn't believe, she asks what he's not telling her. And he denies everything. Babs walks out, wishing Kai a look. She knows he's lying and can't bear to be around him. But she still wants to protect him because he's an old pal and very, very pretty. Oh, Martin. Oh, he just is. He looks like Blue Beetle's friend. Very cute. Bab sets off for Seoul in South Korea, where she knows Wen Lu is heading, having been told the fighter has an MMA engagement there. A probiotic salesman on the plane gives Babs an idea. Bacteria, she yells in her head. Could Kai be transporting bio-encrypted bacteria, she wonders, as any of us would. Remember, Kai had an inexplicable tummy. Seoul, which I'm mispronouncing probably horribly, Babs enjoys some street food. Random. Then, as Batgirl, she sneaks into the gym where Wenlu is training, breaks into Wenlu's locker, and finds nothing more apparently physics textbook. Some tech thing that she's set up takes Babs up a building in the building in, up to a building in the business district, where she finds a computer box which is missing a hard drive or something. I wasn't quite clear. Anyway, she avoids being squished by I think it's a flying desk. I wasn't quite clear again, and is confronted by a lone construction worker with a plaster on his nose. Also on the scene is Wen Lu in her villainous identity of Moth because she flutters when she fights. Terrifying. Bab says she's sick of fighting students. She wants to meet the teacher. But Construction Man tells her that said teacher has gone to Shanghai to see Batgirl's friend. Oh no, Kai is in trouble. And as we end the book, Babs is about to be attacked by both Moth and Construction Man. <laughs> the end. Oh, now. man. Yeah. Construction Man. Uh, yeah, next, teacher takes Batgirl to school. I know. Okay, so I'm going to let you have your time because um, I go on and on about this. So I'm going to give it to the the guests this time. Donovan, let me have my say, my piece, I guess, make my piece uh, in the beginning. But in your overall thoughts and, and whatever you want, you can pick out details. You can do whatever you want. You have this, the floor and the time because then I'll take it. Can you also, before you start, tell me what you have thought of the series so far and then go into your thoughts on this issue. The series so far, I've been not enjoying the change in local greatly because I like I like my bad characters in in Gotham, really, or in the US. I never like it when Batman does his James Bond bit and fights Rush or Gull or Lady Shave, Lady Shave. But I've actually been enjoying... The Eastern location more than I more than I thought I would. Have. I mean, I went on a trip to Hong Kong once, and I just found the whole place fascinating. Mm. And so, it is it is rather interesting seeing Barbara out there. But I don't like the fact that Barbara she's just 
discomfort. There's no discomfort. She can seem to seemingly speak any language, understand all the culture. She's never caught by surprise. She's suddenly an MMA fighter. I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would, but I'm just looking forward to Barbara going elsewhere. Just I don't know. We'll we shall see. But I mean, for the particular issue, I'm I'm getting a little bit bored. I mean, I I can't fault Hope Larson for the story. She's she's thought things through. She's plotted it all out. But I just don't find Barbara plodding from place to place especially interesting. I mean. Again, I've never been pulled in by the Bat Book's fascination with Eastern fighting arts and villains such as Lady Shiva and Lynx. And I'd rather see some weird or weird or bad guy or guy with a gimmick, some colourful gimmick. I mean, all the kicking and philosophy—it's just not it, not for me. And I can't understand why Barb was fixated on this. The fortune cookie last words of somebody mm-hmm. who didn't know her. I mean, this is some woman that old woman that you know. A fantastic superhero, and obviously, you know, she had some amazing fighting skills in a wheelchair, and she's to be respected, and she had wisdom. But there's no reason that she should have any connection with Barbara. And it's like, if she said those words to me, I think, you know, random philosophy, and not be sort of. I don't understand this quest that Barbara's on to work out what's going on. I don't know, and. Having having Babs be an MMA fighter just doesn't seem to fit for me. The the bad girl that I grew up with, she was tough as heck, but she was a balletic fighter, not a bruiser. Mm-hmm. And and technology based crimes, I know she's had years and years and years, decades as Oracle, but technology based crimes just don't feel especially threatening. I mean, one of the things I didn't like, much as I enjoyed the last Bad Girl series, I didn't I didn't enjoy the constant fixation with sort of computers and technology and apps and. I know it's today's world, and I, you know, I've, I've got my iPhone and my iPad and this, that, and the other, blah, blah. But I just don't find it that interesting. I, I, I like people as threats, and I, I realise it's people who are, you know, who are involved in these technical things. But you know, Barbara's involved on the tech side and tech side. I just, I just move on. I, mean, I like the first issue the most with Fruit Bat, and I would love to have seen Barbara somehow. Travelled to a kick-ass ladies' night team up with Fruitback when she was young in the in the forties or whatever. But uh, no, I mean I, I can get back to the art later. But as far as the story goes, it's I'm enjoying it, but I'm not enchanted. Okay, enjoying but not enchanted. I, you have certainly a more positive, I think, appreciation of it or interpretation of it than I do. <laughs> so some of my thoughts will address some of your thoughts, I think. We'll have some parallels as well. I'm going to start off positive and say that overall, I felt like it had a better Batgirl feel than the previous issue because in that one, you mostly saw Babs and then the only Batgirl you saw was her going after a drone and you found a peeping Tom. And I thought, that's terrible. Why would Batgirl worry about, you know, a peeping Tom? I just thought, ugh, it's below her. And I also think that Babs made some progress in her personal life, which is great. Uh, There are some great moments either with her costume fight against Moth or all of her detectiving and even using uh, technology, which I know uh, you had a problem with. But I feel like it's a good tie to being Oracle, which is why I appreciate it. I'm glad that Babs has dropped Kai, though I still say it should have been sooner. I don't like him, even though you do, sir. And I don't know why she feels guilty for leaving him behind and says, quote, he won't be safe until I get to the bottom of this. I I just feel like... I'm reading a story written where one page doesn't necessarily have any consequences on the next because she broke up because she doesn't trust him. But now she's saying she broke up to protect him. So I was a little confused there. So some nitpicks here. 
Uh, we have the quote, maybe deafness gives her special powers. Mm. And yeah, I, I just feel like, I mean, Daredevil, but there was something else that was going on there uh, with the blindness anyways. But I feel like this current run of Batgirl has Babs making bizarre conclusions. In the previous issue, there was the Japanese schoolgirl thing that, you know, there's violence and all of this. And now we have this. Uh, you know, does this quote mean that anyone with a loss of a specific sense or appendage automatically has a superpower? Are these even powers or are they just finely tuned abilities? We don't really know. I just feel like she's making a leap. Why does Babs have a fan club at the at the fighting ring when all she did was get knocked out? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I wondered myself. Oh, that's a little weird. One thing that annoys me is her memory. Uh, we're really focusing on her eidetic memory. And I think that she's super smart and she may have, you know, a, a photographic memory but I feel like now it's really being used like a DVR where she can rewind and replay things that have happened even if she's unconscious like something kicks in and it almost makes her seem less human because something that I've really enjoyed about Batgirl and Barbara Gordon is that she doesn't have any powers she's smart and she's capable uh, but it's also someone that I really respect and I feel like I could be potentially you know she's not like wonder woman but now it's like she's kind of a step step removed from me and and i find that a little sad i i, I totally agree i mean the, the eidetic memory business it made for some fantastic visuals in the last batgirl series but it yeah it, it became over relied upon and i just like to see it fade away yeah uh how does she know that kai is in danger just after seeing the tattoo on moth uh in her memory I feel like this is another leap with no explanation. Like she's thinking of everything, and then oh, Kai is in danger. What? What's the connection there? I think. I think. I think. As far as I can see, I think the only connection is that she, you know, she thinks he, she thinks he's involved in you know smuggling his cyber bacteria or whatever. Oh, okay. It, it, it seems. I think that's the MacGuffin that everybody wants. Yeah. And I while I was saying Kai was cute, I wasn't necessarily defending. Oh, okay. He's not. He's not been straight with her. It's just, okay. I, I was being in Barbara's position. I think that's what you know. She she has a long that history. He's dreamy. With yeah. Yeah. Well, he is dreamy, but you know, but but also the fact that you know he's an old friend, and you know, I think she's seeing that he's make, maybe making some wrong decisions, and she's protecting him from himself. There seems to be such a a focus on her love life, and let me like back up a little bit and say that there was a recent announcement that Raphael Albuquerque is going to be off the book after six and with issue seven, Christian Wild Goose is going to be the new artist and Barbara is going back to Burnside and in Burnside, she's going to have a new bow or fling, who knows, and it's going to be the son of Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin. And oh, so I know. Well, so here's my question. Do you, why do you think there's such a focus on, or do you see a focus on Barbara Gordon's love life recently? Why? Why? It just seems, again, just <laughs> obvious we've got a female superheroine, so she has to have Lois Lane type love interest. I mean, it annoyed me that they, saw, they suddenly dropped this, this, the guy with one foot from the Simone mm. room, mm-hmm. and then she's... Ricky. Yeah, Ricky, and then she's off with Lucius Fox's son, which is yep. fine. He's a nice guy, but it's you know no no mention of Ricky, and now she's forgot Lucius Fox. I think there's maybe one tiny reference, but I think she's forgot Lucius Fox's son. What's he called? Dan, da, Tim, Dan. I forget. Luke. Luke Fox. She's yeah. forgotten Luke Fox now that she's in, in the Far East, and then from what you say, she's going to you know forget Kai immediately. Although yeah. he's probably worth forgetting, but yeah, it's like she's meeting meeting you know good guys and it seems like it makes it seem like she's just messing them around that she's extremely flighty i mean decide that someone's not for you work things out i mean i, I did like in this issue or was the last issue 
Did she kiss Kai? And then immediately thought, oh, yeah, no, bad idea. Yep, worst issue, yeah. Yeah, but I just, you know, just have her stick with someone for a while or mm-hmm. be by herself. She just, or be by herself for a while. She doesn't need, need a guy. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, what do you make of it? Yeah, I don't like it. I, I'm very against it. I don't think, you know, I like to ship characters, but I think if the point of this run was for her to find herself as a character or grow, then the, really the way to do that is alone, to find yourself as a person. You don't find yourself attached to somebody else or, you know, in a relationship necessarily. Like that's when you should have known who you are first and then you're together and then you work out, you know, as you are as a couple, I think. I mean, that's my perspective anyways. But I don't like Kai. I, I argued that you know, Barbara, if she has any sort of inkling that someone's a little dirty or is up to no good, that she wouldn't entertain any sort of romantic thoughts or, you know, let that kiss happen. So I have a big problem with what's been going on. No, absolutely. I, I do agree. I, I, and the very idea that Barbara needs to go anywhere to find herself, to me, she's, you know, even when she's been sort of at most vulnerable in, 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 in the moment when life's been hardest on her, she's not exactly what she is. You know, mm-hmm. Barbara's, to me, she's... Along with, say, Tim, she's one of the most centred members of the Batman family. Yeah. I don't think she needs this journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Batgirl apparently can hit people hard enough to knock them out of a window. Unforgettable. It's a joke. Everywhere. It's all a joke. <laughs> and forevermore. That's how you... That's why, darling, it's incredible that someone so unforgettable thinks that I'm unforgettable too. Do you think this is possible? No, no. <laughs> that, that window will be at least double or triple glazed. Yeah. I mean, it was like a scene from Watchmen with uh, the comedian being thrown out the window. Yeah, and then, you know, you know, if, she's, if she thinks Moth's deaf as well, I think she'd probably be avoiding head blows because, you know, she's a villain, but you'd think, mm, I don't want to bash someone on the head when they're deaf. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or... I mean, there's no concern that she was uh, thrown out, defenestration and all of that. Batgirl still has no clue what Fruit Bat's inspirational quote means, and neither do I. This is something you brought up. Will this ever be resolved? I don't know. It should be, but I, it's more of an annoyance to me at this point. Ditto. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine any satisfactory interpretation because it's just meaningless guff. Yeah. Just rubbish. How does Barbara, another question I have, how does Barbara know that Moth signed an MMA contract which will take her to Seoul, Korea? Who knows? How, how does she know these details? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's, I mean, it, again, this is, this is one of those stories where there's just, there's just little whole little connections that just don't, it, you know, doesn't really hang together. Yeah, and she also knows which gym Moth is training at in all of Seoul, Korea, which seems strange. And then, well... The, the staged construction worker, as you called him, uh, knows that Kai is Batgirl's friend. So they're just knowledge yeah, that I people think, I think have. I, yeah, I may, be, I, I may be getting mixed up with one of the other stories that we've been reading, but I think does Bart, I think maybe kind of little, little sort of bug that she looks at in the toilet of the airport 
this may be telling her where Moth is. Well, that no, that's telling her oh, that where the else? hard the hard drive is. Oh right, see, I can't. I I've even lost lost track of what the hard drive is. Like yeah. so I went I went back and read, and I just couldn't keep that detail in my head because it's just technical nonsense. And I think that I mean that goes to show that it's this isn't necessarily a readily not available, but readily something that people can engage in easily. I think the fact that we're losing track of certain details and have questions is not a good sign of, of the writing, in my opinion, anyways. I think you're right. I think it needs stronger editing and, you know, another draft. Yeah. Bioencryption, which was something I had no idea about, but I did look it up, and this was from io9. I'm only going to read just a, a little bit here. Uh, but it's a new method of data storage that converts information into DNA sequences, and this allows you to store the contents of an entire computer hard drive on a gram's worth of E. coli bacteria and perhaps more of that. Um, so that's what, when, with all of this talk of bioencryption, um, that's what we're talking about. And this leads me to another point I have that just this comic doesn't seem straightforward. It seems like it's overcomplicated sometimes. There are uncommon references. The BNB reference, apparently there's some site, now I've forgotten what it is, where you can go online uh, for bed and breakfast things. Uh, so that was a reference. But I didn't know what it was. Donovan didn't know. So I don't know. You know, Airbnb, Airbnb. Yes, that's it. what it is. Yeah. So what, I knew what it was, but again, okay. it's, it's, it's going to date the comic. It, it feels, yeah. Um, I, I think editor's notes should be brought back and made to help yeah. the reader, um, especially in regards to bioencryption. How many people had any idea what was going on with that? I just uh, assumed they'd made it up, Stella. Yeah, see? Um, and here's a quote. Kai, quote, Kai didn't have food poisoning in Okinawa. He had information poisoning, end quote. I mean, what does that even mean? If you don't have the outside knowledge, I, for me, it just sounds like gibberish. It's nonsense. And if, if you can put it on a bit of bacteria, you don't need, you don't need to involve a person. Stick it oh. in the post. You know? <laughs> stick, it, stick it on a plush from Amazon. I don't know. Oh, no. Yeah. So those are sort of my, my grievances and my gripes. And I promised last episode that if I had any, I would come up with some possible solutions. So here are some things that I have to potentially push it forward and make it better. Work on transitions from one scene or even one page to the next. I don't think there should be any confusion as to how Babs got to a particular conclusion or we shouldn't uh, have Babs seem conflicted on a decision that she just made or even forget about a decision she made. Don't make logical fallacies or jump to particular conclusions. Again, this happened with the uh, Deaf people obviously have a superpower kind of thing, or just anyone with a disability has a superpower. Uh, make information and references more common or at least better explained. Figure out that blasted quote from Fruit Bat and stop beating around the bush. <laughs> and then there should be a story check. There shouldn't be any question of how or why Batgirl knows something or went somewhere. So these are my possible solutions. So uh, final thoughts, and then your grade out of 10 bats. Oh, fine, fine. So actually, can I ask what you thought of the art? Oh, please do, please do. I like the art. I'm actually enjoying it. That's certainly not my... Uh, not my problem with it. It's yeah. it's obviously distinct and different from Babs Tar, which I think is good. But I think it also carries on um, sort of the spirit that the Burnside mm. Run started. It's a lighter tone. I love the colors and everything. So I'm I'm happy with the art. That's certainly not any one of my um, my problems with this book. Yeah, I, I'm, an, I like, I'm an Albuquerque fan, but this issue didn't delight me. It's like okay. It's, I thought there was too many weird facial expressions. Like, for example, when she's on when she's on the plane, and the guy for the first time is saying, "Are you familiar with Pro Biotel?" And the, the face is 
monster pit. Oh, yeah. Really bizarre. And I think Albuquerque needs to hire a background artist because in the first issue, I found the occasional spotty backgrounds charming and a bit of a visual signature. But now they're just, they're just taking over the book. There's just too many spots everywhere. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, there's some dynamic compositions, and when she's in costume, it's fantastic. And yeah, the visual, the fight scenes are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Lovely, lovely, lovely. And I mean, the panel where she catches Moth in the corridor is excellent. There's a real sense of menace to Wen Su and great confidence from Batgirl. But I just, like I say, some, some, of, some of the faces were just so weak. I mean, they're loved. On the one hand, I like comics that aren't afraid to be cartoony. But on the other hand, when they sort of seem to be working against what the script's telling us, like, you know, he, you know the guy's saying, you know, business for me, my company's expanding. And she's just, I mean, I know she finds the guy a bit boring. Yeah. I thought she was quite mean to mean about him, actually. No, it looks like she's having some kind of seizure. Yeah. Maybe she's nervous. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Batgirl's never nervous. She knows everything. She's, <laughs> wow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But o- overall, it's it was decent. I'm looking forward to having Batgirl back in a more familiar milieu mm-hmm. and away from, like I say, the fortune cookie. Although I am, as I say, having a nice Chinese meal when we finish. I'll be ordering in. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, it was okay. It's uh, it's, it's interesting to have a different tone to Batgirl for a while, but I want Barbara back with uh, with. I like the supporting cast who was built. Well, I, I liked her roommate in the Gail Simone run. I like Frankie. I like her friends. I like Luke Fox, and I, I want to see her back in Gotham. You know, back in Gotham. In, mm-hmm. And but over, overall, is is it ratings time? If if it was ratings time, I would say. Six and a half out of ten. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, we're getting there with this one, but there are still several weak story points that should be cleared up with either better writing or better editing. But I, I think there some strides were made to uh, push it on better, but I agree with you that it's time to move on. And I, uh, well, I hate the globe-trotting aspect, if only because I wish she would have stayed in one country. So if it was Japan, then stay in Japan. Mm. But she's been in a different country each issue, and, and that's something that I've not enjoyed. I'm going to step you uh, step up again. Uh, just a half, though. Seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. That's, that's not too bad. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm probably in a grumpy mood. Yeah. A grumpy mood. It's because you're hungry. We're almost <laughs> done. I promise. I need some cyber bacteria. Oh, no. That sounds awful. Well, if you're looking for more Batgirl, you can check out the DC Bombshells Annual, where actually Batgirl is a vampire in this universe, and she's actually in a coven with Rose Wilson and Enchantress, and Frankie appears. So you should check that out. It's actually a really fun and interesting, a very different take on Barbara Gordon. Uh, We'll now over to Chris Carnes for his Batman 66 review. Uh, that's like finding the one in 15 variant cover for sale at regular price. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Bat fans. Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. Thank you for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast forwarding. I'm Chris, and I'm very glad to be with you. Today, I'll examine Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel number three. Issue number three was cover dated November 2016 and is a DC Comics Boom Studios crossover with their characters based on the British TV series The Avengers. The cover art was provided by Michael and Laura Allred, and the contents were originally released in download format. Our next chapter up is entitled Tinkering with Terror, and was written by Ian Edgington and are provided by Michael Dow Smith. When we last left our heroes, they were in the Batcave as it was being breached by an army of Cybernauts. Batman and Robin wonder how the Cybernauts were able to track the cave's location, as the seized Cybernaut in their possession has been completely disabled. 
When Steve checks his pocket, he finds that he unwittingly had a homing pen on him. Batman uses the Batmobile's bat beam to take down two Cybernauts, while Steed and Mrs. Peel use bat anti-oil spray on the others. The noise of the battle ascends above to Stately Wayne Manor, home of millionaire Bruce Wayne and his youthful ward, Dick Grayson, where Alfred reassures Aunt Harriet that the commotion sounds are merely thunder. Batman then generates an electromagnetic pulse from the cave's atomic pile to disable the remaining Cybernauts. Meanwhile, from her hideout, Michaela Goff radios she is returning to London to Mr. Freeze. Chapter 6. A Deadly Error. The chapter opens bypassing a bit in off-panel land, and fast-forwarding to Steed joining Batman in the Batmobile, and Mrs. Peel on the Bat-Cycle with Robin in the sidecar. Batman has since used the Cybernauts homing pen to get a fix on its transmission point. Our heroes arrive at Skeleton Quay Lighthouse, decommissioned several years ago, but still with powerful broadcasting equipment. Michaela Goff sees them and summons Lord Fogg to aid in their escape. As Steed and Mrs. Peel enter from below, Batman and Robin bet climb up the lighthouse where they all rendezvous, and Michaela Goff reveals herself, and certainly not the victim of a kidnapping, but who was the one who planted the pen on Steed. Before she can be apprehended, Fogg arrives by an aircraft which appears to be a cross between a blimp and helicopters, and he releases a swarm of African death bees as the villains make their escape. Emma quickly does a dance to communicate with the bees, and the men follow suit, allowing the group to escape their peril, and Batman informing the group that they'll pursue the villains. To be continued. My main qualm with the series has been the pacing, but I have to admit the story moved along a bit more briskly, though at the expense of the dreaded off-panel land. I did want to see how it was determined between chapters that Mrs. Peel would be entrusted to drive the bat cycle, especially since she later admitted to Robin that she crashed her cycle in the last two races she competed in. There were a few other things I liked. Conversation and interaction with Batman and Steed, and Robin and Mrs. Peel respectively, the odd flying contraption that Lord Marmaduke Fogg used, and the dance that Mrs. Peel initiated and our heroes had to follow in. The latter elements bordering on silliness, of course, but were very in tune to a degree of both TV series. I thought that the breach of the Batcave was downplayed. This was usually something of a big deal on the old Batman TV series, but I wasn't sure if Michaela Goff ever bothered to connect the dots with the Batcave's location, being below Wayne Manor, and trying to at least attempt to guess Batman's secret identity. Did I miss something? Or does she simply not care, and her only goal was disposing of our heroes at the hands of the Cybernauts? At any rate, I thought this point was conveniently glossed over. I thought there was a slight improvement in the art book from the artwork from the previous issue. However, I thought the coloring was very, very faded and dull in both chapters, almost to a, the point of a distraction. I'll grant you that colorists don't usually get their due with their con- contributions to a book. Wendy Broom and Carrie Strachan were both credited for coloring here, and both of these ladies have extensive credits. I don't know if there was some sort of error, and if so, I'll be forgiving, and I hope it improves next issue. With all the elements I had been pining for, this was the best issue of the series so far. I'm giving Batman Meet Steed and Mrs. Peel number three, six and a half out of ten bats. Over on the TBU website, Jerry Green gave this three out of five. Comics publisher Gold Key was very well known in the 60s and early 70s for using TV properties for their comic books, and the TV Avengers TV show was no exception. Since the title, 
the Avengers was already used here in the United States, Gold Key's one-shot issue was titled John Steed and Appeal, and was released in 1968. Like a lot of Gold Key TV comic books, the issue had a photo cover and the words, The Lid's Off on a Spy Game a la Mod. My, wa- my eyes weren't able to identify what episode that the picture they used was taken from, but the website's Comics Vine and The Avengers Illustrated denote that the photo used on this comic book cover was from the episode entitled A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Station. This issue contained two reprinted stories from British TV comics that were entitled The Roman Invasion and The Mirage Maker. In other United States comics, uh, the character has appeared in a three-issue miniseries from Eclipse Comics in 1990, and has been a Boom Studios property since 2012. As with some other Gold Key books published around this time, some versions have a photo on the back cover and some do not. In Superman number 13, cover dated January 1988, two unnamed British intelligence agents who appear bear a very strong resemblance to Steed and M. Appeal. They come in the story looking for W. Principal Shot, a.k.a. the Toy Man, in a story entitled Toys in the Attic. And in Alex Ross's Kingdom Come, issue number two, the pair appear to be background characters. Next month, I'll look at the series nods to other TV shows, and in future segments, the connection to Game of Thrones, and I'll comment on the 1998 feature film based on the show. Listeners, please feel free to leave any comments for myself or for the podcast on the TBU website, and please leave us a good review over on iTunes. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast and the content on the Batman Universe website, please head over to the Batman Universe website and contribute to the server costs by following the link on the homepage. If you wish to contact me directly, I can be reached by email at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. Thank you for your support. What areola threats await our heroes and how will they survive? What other identity will we see Bruce Wayne assume in this series? What horrific fates and peril are wait a heroes abroad? The answers to these lively, lighthearted, likable, lollygagging, law-abiding lines to be answered next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. Next up is my literature recommendation, and I read two books, and they were both World War II setting. So this is, and I didn't mean it, but kind of worked out so first what i mentioned before all the light we cannot see by anthony door marie lore lives with her father in paris near the museum of natural history where he works as the master of its thousands of locks when she is six marie lore goes blind and her father builds a perfect miniature of their neighborhood so she can memorize it by touch and navigate her way home when she is 12 the nazis occupy paris and father and daughter flee to the walled city of saint malo where marie lore's uh, reclusive great uncle lives in a tall house by the sea with them they carry what might be the museum's most valuable and dangerous jewel In a mining town in Germany, the orphan Werner grows up with his younger sister, enchanted by a crude radio they find. Werner becomes an expert at building and fixing these crucial new instruments, a talent that wins him a place at a brutal academy for Hitler youth, then a special assignment to track the resistance. More and more aware of the human cost of of his intelligence, Werner travels through the heart of the war and finally into St. Malo, where his story and Marie Lors converge. A wonderful, wonderful book. There are certain books that somehow sort of travel around the school where I work, like different people will uh, talk about it. This is one of them, and the Brothers Karamazov is the other one. I haven't read that one. 
But this is this is great, and it's interesting because each of the chapters are in a different POV, and they're short chapters, so it's not like you know the uh, Game of Thrones stuff where it's you know longer chapters. And you'd think it'd be jarring, but it's is really not, and it's easy to pick up you know who is who. And you wonder when these two characters are going to meet, if they ever meet, who knows? But it's it's a great story. Uh, a bit of a, it's a bittersweet um, ending, I guess. It's, it's a bit sad, but I do really recommend that. And then also I read In the Garden of Beasts by Eric Larson, and this is a nonfiction. The time is 1933, the place Berlin, when William E. Dodd becomes America's first ambassador to Hitler's Nazi Germany in a year that proved to be a turning point in history. A mild-mannered professor from Chicago, Dodd brings along his wife, son, and flamboyant daughter, Martha. At first, Martha is entranced by the parties and pomp and the handsome young men of the Third Reich with their infectious enthusiasm for restoring Germany to a position of world prominence. Enamored of the new Germany, she has one affair after another, including with the surprisingly honorable first chief of the Gestapo, Rudolf Diels. But as evidence of Jewish persecution mounts confirmed by chilling first-person testimony, her father telegraphs his concerns to a largely indifferent State Department back home. Dodd watches with alarm as Jews are attacked, the press is censored, and drafts of frightening new laws begin to circulate. As that first year unfolds and the shadows deepen, the Dodds experience days full of excitement, intrigue, romance, and ultimately horror when a climactic spasm of violence and murder reveals Hitler's true character and ruthless ambition. Suffused with the tense atmosphere of the period and with unforgettable portraits of the bizarre goring and the unexpectedly charming yet wholly sinister Goebbels in the Garden of the Beast lends a stunning eyewitness perspective on events as they unfold in real time, revealing an air of surprising nuance and complexity. The result is a dazzling, addictively readable work that speaks volumes about why the world did not recognize the grave threat posed by Hitler until Berlin and Europe were awash in blood and terror. This was an amazing book. Nonfiction, like I said, Eric, Eric Larson, I had known of him before with Devil in the White City, which I read years ago. And... Uh, Wow. Uh, It's great to read this from this perspective of someone being in Germany and Nazi Germany and it's, you know, the rise of it. So it's before all this stuff is happening and him being very much on sort of the other side of the tracks from other people um, who are trying to ingratiate themselves in, you know, the company of the Nazis and things like that. And then Martha is just this crazy lady who honestly is oversexed and has all these flings, one of them with a Russian and, and later on the Russian's try to uh, bring her into the fold and be a spy for them. But just really intriguing to see behind the scenes with this. I feel like I haven't seen Germany in that sort of perspective, which I think was interesting. And also sort of Jewish perceptions or perceptions of Jews or what's another way, I guess, feelings and thoughts about Jews from Americans and and just like anti-Semitism and and actually, you know, how it was prevalent also in America as well and how people didn't necessarily care about what was going on in other nations uh, until got worse and then they decided, oh, this is a bad thing. But uh, yeah, just really interesting. Of course, you know, I think you have to be ready for the tone that it sets, you know, because it is Nazi Germany. But I certainly recommend it. Yeah. Well, that is it for our show. And Martin, can you tell people how they can support you or where they can find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter at at Mart Gray, M-A-R-T-G-R-A-Y. Or they can pop along to my blog, 
maybe, and that's called Too Dangerous for a Girl, which, again, I have to explain is irony based on an old Saturn Girl reference in the Legion of Superheroes and not me being a total sexist git, hopefully. But, uh, yeah, pop along. If you read the reviews, leave a comment. That would be lovely. But otherwise, just everybody have a wonderful day. Yeah, and thank you so much again for your time and coming on. It was a real pleasure. Lovely, lovely to speak to you again and hopefully do it again sometime. Absolutely. What you're about to hear next is certainly a treat. Shag did his world tour again this summer and I got to spend time with him and Tom Paneris and we went to another Mexican restaurant so of course you can hear that in the background but we recorded parts of our dinner conversation and you're going to hear one part here and if you are interested in the other two parts I really encourage you to go over to the Fire and Water podcast and also Pop Culture Affidavit but what I asked my gentleman friends to do was to think about their favorite couples, to think about their favorite couples in film, TV, and comics. So put all of that shipping together, and this conversation is the result. Just making sure that this is still recording. <laughs> it probably wishes it wasn't, but... Uh, great, yeah, great couples... So are we shipping specific people? No, no, no. I thought that's what we were doing. Or are you just favorite favorite couples? Favorite couples, yeah. Okay. I thought we were shipping. Like, who should be together? Uh, we can do that. Where's the where's the microphone? On these I, you're usually there where you put your mouth. Okay, well, I'm putting... I'm going to put this in your mouth. I'm putting it closer oh, to you because you're the one who doesn't talk very loud. Okay. You say something still. Hello. All right. Hi. Hi there. Look at that. Stella goes up to like. Hello. No, say something like you did a minute ago. Hello. Okay, there. Tom. Hello. Hello. You're way down there. In the blue. It's so picking me up. Oh, my heavens. Are are you bringing us in? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm here with two. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm making lots of noise. Okay, now go. You may begin your show. I'm here with two cranky old men. One of them is Tom. Pan Aries, and the other one is Shag Matthews. Is she doing anyway. the computerized voice? <laughs> I know the yeah. computerized voice that, that Mike used and, and other people used to use to make fun of themselves. Oh. I think she's just making fun of us. Yeah. Uh, we are here at another Mexican restaurant. The basket of chips is empty. Shag is about to take a drink of water, and Tom has finished his Diet Coke. And we are now going to talk about one of the greatest subjects there is, and that's romance. Romance is like water to a camel. You can never have too much. So here we are. I don't know. I don't know. I'm that's actually really Stella tired. I'm biting, I'm biting my lips so she can get through this. I don't know. I'm, I'm tired. Oh, it's okay. I'll I wore you it. out. I'm not. Okay. You're not the one who had to teach five classes That's today. why I didn't want to say anything. Um, who got up at 4 a.m. to catch a flight to come see you guys? Anyhow. I was up at 6. So this is one She part. got to sleep in. I went to bed okay. at 1. It was up at 4. Uh-oh. Whose fault was that? Yikes. So we're, this is a three-part. <laughs> the hospital I went oh, to last night. Oh, I'm sorry. Now i got to cut all that out. No, you don't. No, you don't. 
So, anywho, he finally gave birth. It was a beautiful baby boy. This is audio gold. Um, <laughs> so, anywho, uh, this is a three-part crossover. This is part one, I guess. I don't know. But I've asked these gentlemen to come up with some of their favorite couples. It could be in anything. Basically, fandom. could be TV, movie. It could be uh, literature, like a book or a comic. And I think Tom Panaris is going to go first. Tom, can you tell me about some of your favorite couples and why they mean so much to you? Um, or people you would like to see together. I'm, I'm very open. Well, I will... Uh, you don't need to do that. I don't... Watch the bars. I don't know if there are any... Let's see, I'm trying to think of movie couples who I think should have, but... Okay, okay. I'll go... I'll just go through. I'll go, I'll go movie, I'll go TV, I'll go comic. Okay. And, and okay. Movie... Quit watching the bar. Talking your normal voice. Distracting. Talking your normal movie. Um, Lloyd Dobler and Diane Court, hands down. Uh Love, love Lloyd Dobler, Diane Court. Even though I, I I wrote about this, even though like clearly I would have totally had a crush on Diane Court, and Lloyd Dobler would have been the guy she was dating. Then I would have been like, what the hell is she doing with him? Oh, sorry, I couldn't see. I thought that had turned itself off. But I'm, I'm like afraid of the batteries. So yeah, so Lloyd and Diane. Um, Two because kids it, uh, named Lloyd and Diane. Yeah. I just love. I don't know. It's it's such a, say anything is one of my favorite movies. So that's I think that's what it is. It's it's just and and, and the I think, us, I think you told us that last year. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on. Um, Why do you mean you're repeating yourself? You can explain it further. I know. I just I, I like the story because I like the story of how it just um, how it's these two people who in any other context would have not gotten together, but you know this summer after high school where he just takes this chance on asking her out, and um, the thing that always that thing that has bugged me in recent years is is how uh, bad pop culture and analysts, you know, your your screen rant, your BuzzFeed, you know, these people who just kind of take one thing out of context and, you know, like to paint the, what is essentially a grand romantic gesture as stalking. The boombox. The boombox. When I don't think they understand a few of the the subtle details in it is he's not standing outside of her window. If you actually look at the scene, he's standing in a parking shed. At no point does she acknowledge that she sees or hears this. Because the scene is just she, it's often the distance play, okay. and I guess I guess you could say that's just. I thought he's across the street. But. He might be across the street, river, but it's not like she runs to the window, like you know, and he's down there, like Romeo whining at Juliet, and uh, and and then the next scene, she's in the IRS office, and I think that's why I like the movie so much too. There's this juxtaposition of the relationship with her father and the relationship with him, and how those two are coming into conflict because her father is really struggling with the fact that he's losing his daughter okay. so and then the, the scene at the end in fact the last the last line of the movie was on my board today is my quote of the day because she returns to him and says nobody really thinks it's going to work do they and he says you just described every great success story and then the movie and then the, and then it's I think the last line of the movie is actually wait for the ding because they're waiting for the no smoking sign of the airplane to go off which t- t- probably puts it in the 80s but he yeah. tells her she's afraid of flying and he says 
everything bad that happens in a flight happens before that sign goes off. So once the dings, they have this sort of Ben Braddock, Elaine look on their face, and then it goes to the credits. Hmm. So it's a little bit of a graduate. It's I don't know. It's it's such a great movie. That's a clever. They're really clever way. TV wise, first of all. It still hurts me that Angela got in the damn car with Joker Catalano at the end of my so-called life. I've never seen it. Freaking Jared Leto, I didn't mean. Anyway, um, but I'm going to go very old school to a show that I think was around, eh, you might have been born by then, but on, on Degrassi High. Yes. This is what happens to you when you don't have cable as a child. You end up watching Canadian teen dramas on PBS in the afternoons. Joey Jeremiah and Caitlin Ryan. The on-again, off-again, on-again. And then he, um... Uh... Um... Tessa Campanelli one summer, and she found out about it and broke up with him. But they were always my favorite couple on that show, and it was just one of those things I followed on and off as a teenager mostly in junior high so comics wise I've gone on for too long yes I have no, I it's have, helping I have me comics, because I'm, I'm drawing comics wise this is tough I don't know I don't have couples that I really care that much about um And I don't want to bring up the obvious one because we've covered that. Well, you can say why you like it. Oh, I guess is that what you we've, mean? we've covered. But I mean, we've covered your, Nightwing and Starfire. Think, it's not. It's just. It's the easiest OTP? one to think. Is that no. your one true pair? Actually, you know one of the, my, the one of the relationships well, I really really like. OTP is one true pair. One. Uh, yeah. No, I don't think I have a one true pair in comics, but a, but a, a, a couple that I really liked who never end up together because because of what he does is Bruce Wayne and Silver St. Cloud from the Steve Engelhart, Marshall Rogers uh, run in Detective, and then they did a Dark Detective, I think was the sequel they did for that a number of years ago. Um, Never read it. That was, she figured out he was Batman. And then, but then they ended up breaking up because she's just, she just can't, you know, she can't be. And and, and uh, I've always liked that. Couple. I've always liked her as, as a love interest for Bruce Wayne because she was part socialite, part, but she wasn't like flighty, flaky, or something, which makes it for a more, I don't know, three-dimensional, realistic Batman and, and woman relationship. Because, which would be hard to do today, because if you really want to put Batman and, and the socialite woman in the real world, it's Scott Disick and. Uh, whatever Kardashian he was married to. Scott Disick is Batman. I'm just saying. Shaq. Alright. I will do my best at this. I'm not good at shipping. I I didn't even know what shipping meant until about a year ago. I think I had to learn it from you. (laughs) Uh, I learned it by watching you. That's right. Uh, I'll... edit some silence out there <laughs> for movies I'm drawing a blank completely I saw a million romantic comedies and romantic movies over the years none of them 
is such a moment where like I see a couple get together that I, I burst into tears. I can't. I'm not coming up with anything now. Later on, I'll hear something. I'll probably say sure, but I'll go to TV. And this may seem uh, like a cheat because this is something you watched recently. But Ross and Rachel on Friends, and there's a reason for it. Now, I don't know if David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston had the on-screen chemistry exactly. I mean, it was good, but what it was, it was the story of nerds everywhere. Because she, he punched above his weight class. He was the nerdy older brother. Well, he was the nerd. Literally, he was. Yeah. he was Lonica's nerdy older brother. But he grew up much like us comic geeks did, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's a beautiful girl that was popular and ran in the right circles, and he yeah. was in love with her. And he worked very hard and, and was patient and tried to win her heart, and eventually he did. And, and then he screwed up. Well, sure. Well, that's because it's serialized television, and yeah. they have to make it interesting because they learn from moonlighting. Don't let your couple fall in love. But even <laughs> then, they were actually pretty decent as a couple on the show. Well, it was it was them falling in love yeah, for me, yeah, yeah. and it, and it's just I always like that story of the guy who gets the girl mm-hmm. because any by all rights he shouldn't have. You know, she was out of his class, out of his league. So for comics, uh, I guess my. OTP is that right? Uh, without a doubt, is Lois and Clark. Oh yeah. Post crisis, Lois and Clark. Uh, they make a great couple. They, she is interesting because when you think of Lois Clark, you think Lois Clark. When you think of Lois Lane, she's a hard nosed reporter, right? And she always goes for the story. And then some people say that doesn't fit with her being Clark's wife and the softer side and everything. But the truth is, everyone has two faces. Everyone has their... This is my turn. Shut up. Everyone has two faces. I I have the talking conk. Um, Everybody has two faces. The face they show at work and the face they show at home. It's just... You're different in your work environment. And Lois at work is hard-nosed, going to kick your ass. She's going to kick the door in and get the story. But at home, she's going to support and be there for her husband and he's going to be there for her. They're a, it's usually, it's a mutual relationship. He does as much for her as she does for him. They truly love each other. She's helping to keep a secret. She understands that he's bigger than just her husband. He belongs to the world to some extent. And so she realized she has to share him, and she does willingly. Um, the recent Lois and Clark Superman series that Dan Jurgens wrote was exceptional, where they had a son and everything. So um, I was so thrilled, because that, I mean, for me, in the New 52, that's what the New 52 was missing. There's a lot of things you could say it was missing. Wally yeah. West, whatever. It was missing Lois and Clark. And they've given that back to us now. So. You may speak. Here's the conk. On, on this topic of Ross and Rachel, that is excellent. No, no, I can report. Um, I'd also like to add, it's not a couple, but... Ross and Monica are one of the most accurate, genuine brother and sister pairs I've ever seen. Oh, totally. Just like, I see me and my sister in those two. And it's it's such a... And, um, and as far as Lois having that extra dimension, the man said, we all have a face that we hide away forever and take, our, take it out and show ourselves and everyone is gone. It's the faces of the stranger. We love to try them on. Stella! It's my turn. She didn't get it. Put this in. I don't know that I did either. Put that right in your mouth. Finally. What? Billy Joel record. Oh, okay. What did he say? He said it was a Billy Joel record. Billy Joel record. Which song? The Stranger. It's called The Stranger. Okay. I only listen to it. I don't know lyrics all that well. Now, if you did Piano Man, I would have known it. There's an episode of Long Play. It's not your turn. I did with Bob Fisher. It's not your turn. The Stranger. It's not your turn. I do like me some Billy Joel. (laughs) 
Go. Okay. Dick and Babs. Movies We're done. Are, I know. <laughs> movies are hard because I've seen a lot as well. But a movie that had great impact on me when I was younger was Moulin Rouge. Huh? And, uh, yeah, I just loved it. I remember when... When, when Nicole, Obi-Wan? No. When Nicole Kidman died, I just burst into tears. Spoilers. I saw it a couple times, yeah. I've never seen mom it. Thanks. See it. Not gonna bother now. Well, it's now, a bachelor movie. I'm so sorry. But it's great. I think you should watch it. So I'll go with that. TV-wise, I was trying wait, to... Wait, wait, wait. How was them as a couple, her dying? Wait, <laughs> where's the connection to her? Who was she, was she with? Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Obi-Wan, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nicole Kidman was with Obi-Wan. And, you know... When they first were together in the same room, he's trying to convince her of love, and she's like, no, because, you know, she's a, she's a prostitute. Oh. Yeah. But he you is. He's able, Yeah. Well, he's able to convince her of love, and then they have a nice little affair, and yeah. But it's, it's tragic at the end. So, anyways, I think that one's a good one. There are so many other... <laughs> Ones I could bring up, but I'll, I'll say that one was good, had a good impact on me. Um, TV, my top TV couple, I think, would be Hawkgirl and Green Lantern. Wow. I nice. have to say that. Good choice. It was, it was really, I don't know. How long were they actually I loved together following, for? Well, I mean, there were all these romantic, like, little inklings and everything. And then they were finally together um, with uh, Wild Card is, like, when they kissed and, like, he removed her mask, remember? Yeah. And then they were together near the beginning of Starcrossed. But then, right. the you know, the Thanagarians So an attacked. episode and a half. Well, it could have been longer. I mean, clearly they were hanging out because she's like, do you want to get... Uh, Chinese from that place near you. He's like, just no eel heads this time. Remember? But anyways. And then she betrayed the human race. I know. But she came back and he was with Vixen, but he also knew that they had a child. But anyways, I just think that it was a wonderful... You don't remember that? And just as... Yeah. Oh, oh, Remember he goes to the the future? future. Yeah. Okay. I was like, what? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Dark Hawk or Hawk Justice or... Wasn't it Warhawk? Steelhawk or Warhawk or... Something like that. It's been a while since I watched the whole series. But anyways, I just loved that couple. Love seeing it. Oh, are you okay? (laughs) I was trying to clear my throat away from the microphone, so not to draw attention to it. Thanks, Stella. He clutched his... He clutched his heart. Um, Anyways, but I just want... Yeah, I, I loved them. Um, you know, the best shippers for me, I don't know if this happens to you. <laughs> yes, because I'm all about the shipping. When this, when I see something really special, I get butterflies in my stomach. Aww. It's true. I'm, you know, so when Green Air or Green Lantern is removing her mask, I'm like, whoa, whoa. And they kiss, butterflies. Butterflies. That was um, my wife's reaction to Stan and Peggy getting together in the last episode oh, of uh, Mad Men. Because she just went steggy and was like all excited. And Amanda's usually get like that. So, spoilers again. Yeah. <laughs> and comics, I think you know definitely my OTP is of course Dick and Babs. I mean my Never comic journey. That. My comic journey. I was late. I don't know if I've talked about this, but I was late up. I had surgery, you know, and I was like looking at comic things, and that's when I first read Batgirl Year One. And I found this fan fiction side of like Dick and Babs. And I'm like, oh well, what is this? And then I did lots. <laughs> Is this fan fiction or slash fiction? It was Dick, Devin Grayson Dick and Babs. What do you mean slash? Slash is same sex. Is it? Yeah. 
You know a lot more about this. Yeah, than the I did. two of us don't really. I thought slash. Oh. I thought slash fiction was just pornographic just, yeah, fiction. Yeah, yeah. No, well, no, I think slash, it would just be like erotic. Sex? Yeah. Oh, okay. So like you could do Batman and Flash, and then you'd have to say it's is that slash. Right? I, I have no idea. I look it, it up is. on my phone, but she's, my phone's yeah, currently yeah, having yeah, sex with my phone. Anyways. Uh, so anyways, I was like, oh, this is intriguing. Yeah, mine's the third guy in the room. And I also did, oh. Here, the he's midget, a watcher. The cameraman. He's the watcher. Yeah. Uh, it's like she that. acts innocent. Yeah. Anywho. Um, so I also looked up. I did lots of research. And are you okay? Are you bored? No, I'm fine. Okay. He's disturbed. I'm so tired. He's disturbed reading slash fiction. Research on Dick and Bab's interactions. And then I went to comic stores and just got like random Nightwing, random Birdside, very eclectic. But I was just reading them to, to see these two together. So I think they're my one true pair. But I do really also love Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson. And I've gotten to know them. A married couple or dating? Um, are you that far along where you have them? Yeah, there. Well, she's just come back because she's been gone for a while. So they were dating, and he asked her to marry him, but she turned him down. But so you read other stuff with. I have, yeah. I have. I think married probably. I enjoy it. I mean, I, I like seeing them together. Um, but I have a soft spot in my heart for Peter Parker, so I think that's it. So whether you're FedEx or USPS or UPS, we're all shippers. And uh, I thank these gentlemen for for being with me on this particular show. Thank you. Does that work? That works. It's your show. Tell us did it work. Uh, hey, 20 minutes almost. 15 of yours. it is Tom. What? <laughs> 15 Tom. Uh, <laughs> well, you might want to say stop. And say um, well, you do what you want. I'm sorry. Who goes next? Well, that's it for this show. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to BackgirlTheOracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at BackgirlTheOracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Support TBU and, of course, BackgirlTheOracle by going on the BatmanUniverse.net and supporting it. Give me an iTunes review. Positives would be greatly appreciative. But, hey, if you've not been enjoying the show and... You've been listening for 124 things, and you give me two stars. I better get a good explanation of why you're still listening. Um, once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Thoughts and prayers go out to all the families in Haiti and Cuba, all the families and places that have been affected by Matthew. I'm thinking of you here on Batgirl Oracle. So until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Love a happy ending, don't you? As the plane hits the runway, suddenly Batman and Robin arrive with the Batmobile. Sorry, there's an announcement here at school. It adds to the drama. I know, it'll happen again at four, I promise. Uh, 30 minutes later. (laughs) Oh dear. This is the last one. That's all right. You can sing, and since that world began. <laughs> I don't know the lyrics, actually. <laughs> the night grows, isn't it?
longer yeah. something like that yeah I why yeah it's been so long the man that won you has run off and undone you that great beginning has seen a final inning don't know what happened it's all a crazy game Away. 